0: Howdy, folks! Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melissa on the Fourth. On today's episode, we're chatting with multi-instrumentalist, 420 Funk Mom, Envy Squad member, and creator of Planet 12, Law. We're talking about appropriation versus appreciation, influences, weird Twitter exchanges, and a possible funk revival in the mainstream. How's New York looking?
1: Pretty much the same. I mean, it's been—I mean, we've been consistent pretty much ever since we were the number one place for all things COVID. So. You know, so we've been we've been doing good. I haven't heard anything out of whack or, or weird or anything like that. So doing pretty damn good. I I have, I have to say, I'm I'm very proud of my city.
0: What was it like coming up on your end? What coming up? Yeah, like growing up and everything.
1: Um. Well, you know, for for me growing up, you know, I came up raw. It's a sensibility of, of coming from a a famous family, and, and then, you know, from the streets of Brooklyn, St. Mark's Ave, to be exact. And, you know, everybody around the world knows that Brooklyn is a um, is, is a hotbed of a lot of um, different races, all, you know, from, from Jewish to Russian um, to, you know, African-American, you know, whatever title you want to put on it. And, you know, growing up in the hood, gave me a certain advantage that most people didn't have because you learn the balance of holding your own, you know, how to be how to be tough. And, and most times when you had to be tough, and then, of course, you know, because the family structure that I have that I grew up in, um, it resonated so much with the fact that we were able to get into these different pockets that kids in the suburbs have no clue about. And, and, and if they do have a clue about it, They learned it from watching us hood boys and hood girls do what we do in terms of survival and, you know, how to to maneuver, what to be accustomed to, you know. And then in the middle of all that growing up, the the number one thing that kept my family in order and that kept everybody together, um, the music. The music became the foundation of, of everything in my family. And little did I know, it would carry itself on a street level because of the fact that, you know, growing up the way that I did in these avenues and these departments, you know, but now music is a stronghold that brought everybody together. And that's living proof that music is the universal language. You know, Stevie Wonder said it best. It's the the language that we all understand with an equal opportunity for us to sing, dance, and clap our hands. No matter where you're from, what race you are, what what your social status is, what your class is, like it, it, it resonates, so, you know.
0: Yeah, right, cool. From my understanding your first instrument was drums, right?
1: Yep. All right. That's how I started. I started playing drums first. Um, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, when you have two incredible uncles who are legendary, um, shout out to my legendary uncle Rudy Warrell, shout out to um my uncle Tony T from Austin, you know, two of the baddest drummers to come out of out of Brooklyn hands down and my father actually believe it or not you know my father had musical aspirations but of course he gave it up to to be a working class citizen and and take care of his children but he he drummed as well so um drums is definitely my first instrument like any other normal kid you pick up sticks and pencils and you bang 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 you want you want to bang on shit all day and um of course i've gotten very good at it and then my uncle rudy had my cousins, um, Rudy Jr. and Rashid. <laughs> and both of those kids, of course, because they had the natural uncanny ability like their father did, they were more BC than me. So I continued to play drums, as you can tell. You know, obviously, thank God I didn't stop because I would have been well off and wouldn't have been able to do, do what I do over the years had I would have stopped playing. But um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep playing drums. But, you know, these guys, my cousins, they're beasts. They, they got it over there. So you know what? Let me go to the next best thing that makes sense, and of course, you know, there was the guitar, and courtesy of my my legendary grandfather, Sam Bluesman Taylor, and that's how my that's how my love affair with guitar playing really began.
0: Biggest influences on guitar, and and what you pick up from him?
1: Well, with my granddad. Any or all? Say what? Sorry, say it again.
0: Any influence you have, and what you pick up from him? So, from Sam Bluesman Taylor to, it sense a little bit Eddie Hazel in there too.
1: It's just, you know, with my granddad You know, the perfect Balance of The root part Of what funk is Because a lot of people don't understand that You know, if it wasn't for the blues There wouldn't be jazz or funk So the bottom line is that it goes back To the 12 bar blues structure And the nines, the elevenths, You know, you know about that So it's almost like those paraphrases If I took one part of any Funk song I can slow it down And easily make it A blues song That's how you see The relationship Between that So In his guitar style Remember he played With a pick I don't So in his guitar style He played on Both sensibilities Very well You know what I mean Like the combination Of the, hard, the hardest part Of what a funk What a funk chord Could be But the rootsy Hardcore part Of what a blues chord Can be So I definitely Inherit that from him I didn't really the, the crazy thing about um, my upbringing is that, you know, we're both self taught. And I didn't, the, the crazy part about being self taught is that you realize just how much you inherit from your family and what you get from them, whether it's something vocal or, or as an instrumentation. So at the time, as I was getting to know my grandfather and just wanting to play and, and do different things like that, I would see certain things he would do, but I was always so busy trying to kind of develop my own style for more of the guitar players that I started listening to at that point, so um, it didn't really come together for me and make sense with with my granddad until I actually got a chance to to tour with him and live with him, and that's when I began to really discover that the whole time, certain things that I played, I'm thinking like, okay, this is different, but then I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh, shit, he plays the same way. Oh, wow, okay, so I'm not off here, you know what I mean? So that's what I definitely got from, um, from, from him more than anything else, that there's no no, um, no right or no wrong way To play your instrument In terms of the structure And that was really his foundation You know, the blues is the heart and center And he would always put the emphasis on that He even wrote a rap about it He was like, um, she had a baby down in Dixie Called it Dixieland Then created a big stage and put jazz up on the stand had a, baby, had a baby named Bebop And twins named R&B And told them all that no matter what you play Remember you got it all for me <laughs> So there you go You know, there you go my, my granddad was a genius in every sense of the word. So,
0: What's your creative process?
1: Um, the creative process for me, it, it varies. It, it varies in a lot of different arenas. Um, what happens a lot of times is that I find myself writing just to write sometimes. Because if I wasn't doing music, as most of my fans know, if I didn't do music, I would be a lawyer. I would definitely be playing football or boxing. So um, the creative process for me is to be a journal. You know, journalist was my major in, um, in, in college. So um, writing was always therapeutic for me, even as a kid. And my mother is a journalist herself, you know. And the thing is that, you know, you come across these things. So a lot of times, anything that I felt, whether it's a line or a phrase or something that I thought was cool, I would just write it down. And sometimes it would develop into a song. Sometimes it would develop into a poem and sometimes it would just be a dope ass looking phrase because i'm such a fan of english language i I love how words come together um i was a spelling i was a spelling bee champion in fourth grade so like i love spelling i love different things it's funny because when i write shit now people's like oh you're putting the the journalism stuff in train i said no because i'm expressing my fucking thoughts and i don't feel like putting an apostrophe in the middle of a damn sentence most of the time but i know where they belong so the whole point is that um my, my creative process usually starts with that. Or sometimes it could just start with me riffing on guitar and bass. Like I, I literally, you know, I, I have instruments in every corner of the room. So even downstairs, I just I got me another bass just recently. And sometimes it'll just kind of write itself. I'll just pick up a bass and just start riffing on something. And then I come across something that really sounds cool. Guitar-wise, the bass, and then... From a production standpoint, depending on which genre I want to go with, because, you know, it's always a, a, a toss-up if I want to um, do a pop song or do a rock song or a funk song or a blues song or a jazzy type of song, I I get censored because if I have a lot of shit that I feel I've already have a lot of, then I'll be like, okay, well, you got five funk songs. Let's throw some jazz in there. So, okay, you got about three jazz songs. I think that'll hold them with the jazz shit. Let's do some hip-hop. So then I'll grab the hip-hop stuff. So... Um that's my creative process I, I pretty much I go through the motions there's really no um set definite thing for me you know, of course, I mean I have my things that I have to have like you know my my water and of course, as you pretty much know, um I'm a video game head, so a lot of times I'll play video games for about a good hour and some change to kind of get my thoughts racing, especially with the hip hop stuff because I'm very animated so um I'll get into that part of it and you know sometimes it' just lead to me writing some shit down or writing. Or, or writing the phrase out of this.
0: But you said you were a teacher at one point, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. I was a school teacher for about 13 years. And, you know, at my aunt's school, Anointed Minds Christian Academy. So I was, um, I taught music, of course. I taught um, English. I taught a little bit of science. Um, definitely um, social studies on both ends. So I taught American history, but I also taught black history. And the cool thing about my aunt, is that she allowed me to create my own curriculum. And, you know, public schools don't do that. So to be in a private school where, you know, you, you get the room to grow and create curriculums, because I, I, I felt the responsibility to my people and even in our community to make sure that these kids who are coming up after me, they have to know the truth about themselves and know where they come from. Because, you know, now if your parents teach you, that's great, but in some households, parents don't teach that. So I want to be one of those teachers that... um that would be talked about down the line, or like even if we have a history or whatever, just to be able for people to understand and know that, you know, in times like these, and think about it now. I have my, my students still hit me up to this day. A lot of them are following me on Instagram. You know, a lot of them them got all grown and got families and whatnot, and they'll hit me up and be like, "Mr. Morel, that that was my favorite teacher. Like, 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 I learned so much from him. And then what we see it now, like, 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 Mr. Morel was already talking about that beforehand. So that that's my responsibility to, to my community that, that I put forth. In. And, you know, shout out to my aunt for believing in me. Cause when I first started, I was working with um, the, the the pre-K kindergarten. I, I love children. So I was working with pre-K kindergarten kids, but even though I love working with the, 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 the babies for me, I realized, you know, coming from where we come from, you know, in the streets and everything, it's so easy to get caught up in the streets. And the crazy part is that I saw it happen the same way I saw it happen to most of my cousins and, my friends that got that got caught up in the trap and the mix and everything like that. These young, impressionable minds that my aunt is bringing into her school, who are like, you know, between the ages of 13 and 18, you know, I, I asked my aunt, I said, hey, hey, you know, hey, auntie, can I, can I work with the high school kids or the junior high school kids at least? Because I feel like as the future moves forward, these are going to be the ones or at least among the ones, and if they don't understand and know, they have to see somebody that looks like them. And that was part of my success as a teacher, too, because I didn't do the whole Brooks Brothers suit thing or whatever. Okay. Now, on open school night, I would. But, you know, I, I pretty much dressed the way I normally dress. And I think that connected to, you know, a lot of people don't is like, why is he dressed like that? But actually, that's what connected me to the kids and showing them. I'm like, look, y'all didn't invent this um, sneaker and jeans shit. That came before. A lot of kids, when you're 13, and I thought this way, my mother had to, talk, my, my mother had to teach me a lesson. I thought that way. You know, at 13 years old, and I'm thinking I'm doing something new, and then your mother and your parents let you know, uh, Lord, that's that's not new. I remember I was doing the kid and play kickstep. My mother walks in. She's like, what y'all guys doing? I said, we're doing the kid and play kickstep. He's like, man, that ain't nothing but the Charleston. And I'm laughing at her, and I'm just like, y'all old folks always think that something is – and then I got school. They had a documentary in my school about the, the, the Roaring Twenties. And boy, when they said, and there's a dance called the Charleston. I'm like, oh, shoot. So that was my first lesson, just segue. That was my first lesson in why I love and respect the OGs even more. And I was around 12 and 11 when all that was happening. But it taught me right there. Sometimes you need to do this. You need to listen with, with your ears and not with your mouth. So this is why you learn more. So, And I want to implement that as a teacher. I want to show the students that, y'all not doing anything new, and this is what's going to prepare you for the future in terms of what you need. And I kept it very real with them. We would have real discussions. I would show them different types of movies, and it was very unconventional. So I am thank God that my aunt allowed me to to do that. I, I, you know, I, I love being a teacher, but I knew I wasn't going to be that forever because my main focus was in music. And I guess that's why a lot of my fans say now they learn so much when I post or, or when I talk because I, I give teacher vibes. <laughs> so... <laughs> And that's because I'm a former school teacher.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense, you know, because I was because when you do post and you literally drop history lessons. So I'm like, wait a minute. And then we you mentioned you were like you were part of the school system. It does make sense. You know, we're teaching history, English and others and other subjects. It all makes sense. Now it all connects.
1: Well, also, well, also, too, you know, my incredible Black Panther mother is a school teacher and retired principal. So in our family, just so you give you a broad scope you know, to make the long story short. In our family, it was even three things you had going for you. Music is obvious. Sports, because of my, you know, my older brother, Casino Chip, and you, you've probably seen clips of me and him talking and stuff. He's always oh, yeah, talking yeah. basketball and football and, and whatnot. And that's part of our, our, our bond as brothers and, and even with my cousins and stuff. We all love sports. And, of course, last but not least, education. Because, um, you know, my aunt created a school. Um, my mother, former school teacher, former principal, and then, you know, so I, I grew up and I watched the system as it played out. And that's one of the reasons why when she stopped doing the Black Panther thing, as things, you know, as things increased, as we all know the history, when things increased, um, she said, I'm going to infiltrate the system. So let me become a school teacher so we can implement some of these things in the classroom and in the schools. And, you know, that's the one thing my mother and um, my former principal, Mrs. Robinson, that was the first school that I went to for fourth or fifth grade where they had nothing but our black leaders on the wall because in other schools they would have a couple, they would have the typical Martin, Marcus and, you know, the the ones we all know but I learned about Fannie Lou Hammer, I I learned about um, Norbert Rilix. you know, the guy that invented Sugar, I I learned about all these different people that I probably wouldn't have learned two years prior to them so, it's very interesting when I look at my dynamic and my family and the life because it played a part very well in, in that and, to me, in order to teach music, you have to know something. You have to spend time. And I didn't just read books, as you know. I mean, I lived it. That's, that's why people believe me when I talk about music. And when I do, and it might anything I talk about, to be honest, but, but specifically music. Because of the fact that it's believable because I was there. I saw it. I did my own study. I did the internal thing. And then, of course, I grew up around nothing but the OGs of the music industry. So I get the stories. I learned that, you know. By the time I turned fifteen to sixteen, I was even going to be uh, annoying, know it all to some people, or to some people they're very intrigued. They want to know more because they're trying to get to where I was at that time, and even now. So it all plays a part.
0: And I dig that, though. Even totally unabashed about that, I keep on thinking about a lot of black artists. You know, doesn't matter the genre, but it's basically hip hop and R and B, right? Specifically that, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, you hear what Carey's secret grunge album, right? Secret grunge album. Okay. Apparently, Mariah Carey put out this secretly put this album out with this. It was basically a side project, right? She literally wrote the whole thing. Mm-hmm. She wrote the lyrics, wrote the music, produced it, and did backing vocals, but somebody else sing the lead on it, right? And nobody knew it was her or she had anything to do with it. In fact, you can still find it now on Amazon for nine hundred forty dollars. You know.
1: Interesting. Wow. Exactly.
0: You know. Mm-hmm. So I keep on thinking about you know, like how there's certain people that are, are musically a lot more diverse and I would get credit for it because they know their shit, they know their history, but they can never let on because it will kill the image though. I think more
1: so because it's a lot of valuables to it. And I think because from the very beginning, um, as black artists, once they created these quote unquote departments, like, you know, I have a, I had a very big issue with the title black music department. I hate that because basically it became more about color than music. Whereas, you know, you see a situation like Motown where Barry Gordy as a black man had a vision and said, we're going to, even though we're a black owned company, we're already promoting black business. That's, that's pretty obvious, but we make our music for everybody. So The thing is that when you tell somebody what they can't or what they can't do because they're designed to be pigeonholed a certain way. So thank God that we had people like Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder on Motown that signaled the change, or better yet, even on a deeper level, um, the the late, great Norman Whitfield because Norman knew. Norman had his finger on the pulse more than any producer on Motown records because Norman Whitfield was going to see that new group called Sly and the Family Stone that got that cat on bass that's playing this whole thumping and pluck technique that's driving all the bass cats crazy. Yeah. You know, He he was pretty, he went to go see Funkadelic where he sees this young George Clinton in his prom butt-naked on stage and running around and Eddie Hazel playing the sickest guitar riffs known to man. And Norman Whitfield said, this is what we need to be listening to, Barry. This is what we need to be doing. And to have that sort of separate... Mindset of the whole thing About to a lot of different things Is that people don't Realize that We are diverse as A people Very. it's always Been that way and I'm going to tell you why that is And why it would always be that way mm-hmm. Because we invented all American music Yeah. No, nobody, nobody's proved look, That's the one argument nobody's ever tried to give me Out of all the debates that I've had Over the years of being on social media The truth is the truth Music is a universal language; it's for everybody. But if we're going to get scientifical and technical, the bottom line is that we created rock and roll. We created jazz and blues. We, that, that, that's uh, that's us. Oh yeah. So a lot of times when things become popular, we're forced to streamline ourselves, and that happens sometimes because sometimes you have to do what you got to. Sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do to get to where you need to be. Perfect example: Marvin Gaye never wanted to do R and B music. You do know that I'm pretty sure you know that Marvin Gaye didn't want to do r Marvin
0: surprised. Gaye
1: is a jazz head. Yeah. As a matter of fact, his first two albums, um, "The Soulful Moves of Marvin Gaye" and um, the, "The Tribute to Nat King Cole," like that's that's who his hero is, Nat yeah. King Cole. But it didn't sell, and of course, Barry Gordy said, "Yes, we're about the music. Don't get us wrong, quality music, but guess what? We got if we, we want to compete with the big white companies, we got to sell some records." True. So basically. Look, Marvin. Well, Marvin's like, I got this one song, um, "Stubborn Kind of Fellow," which was a jazz song before it became saying "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." That's Barry's idea. Barry's like, "Why don't we just speed up and make it kind of, kind of soulful? Like, why don't we make it that?" And that's how Marvin learned how to kind of play the game for a while. And then, if you listen to the "What's Going On" album, which is the opus that changed everything for. Music to me is still the greatest r album of all time, oh, yeah. and the fact that if you listen to that album, what's the prominent genre on that record? If nothing else, jazz. It is. Flying high in the friendly skies, save the children. The, the the piano stuff at the end of um, Inner City Blues that's jazz.
0: It is. And then
1: he came out with the Trouble Man album after that, and Trouble Man is straight jazz. It <laughs> is. That's straight jazz. Yeah. So my thing is that, you know, when, I, I think when Marvin and Stevie as well, when they got to a level where they could now do what they want to do, they wanted to explore all regions. That's why I feel like Stevie Wonder's 70s period, like when he just spazzed the hell out on every album. I mean, he was already brewing towards that in, in, the, in the, the last few albums in the late 60s, but when he did the music of my mind and Talking Book and Inner Visions, it's jazz, it's funk, it's soul. It's pop, it's rock, it's classical It's gospel Because Stevie Wonder Like George Clinton And then later on Prince of course They're the embodiments of what we represent As a people showing them that No, we don't just do R&B and funk We don't just do blues We can do whatever we choose to do Because this is our creation And why And why can't we So hearing the Mariah story Just blows my mind Because to be honest with you I feel like if Mariah would have did that after the Emancipation album, I still feel that it would have, it would have did numbers. I, I figured if she would have been bold enough to say, I'm doing this as opposed to doing the typical Mariah Carey shit, she would have won. And, then, and then even if she didn't sell as much units as the last albums did, it wouldn't matter because in 2020, we would still be talking about that album.
0: Correct. You know, cause I was thinking about, cause I'm talking about buddy. Um, he runs this webs He runs this page called Black Rock Music Lexicon, right? And you know, you two really hit it off. I'll put it that way.
1: Okay, that's cool. I, I love to meet him, man.
0: And yeah, I'll probably hit you up. I'll hit him up after the show. But um, he he mentioned something really fascinating. He said the regarding the Mariah Carey thing I put up. You know, because sometimes I just put stuff up. I got my reasons for it, though. He said, "Any yeah. musician over forty-five and fifty was not surprised." But then I started thinking it makes sense because Bun B he loves West Coast punk rock. I found an interview with him and Angela Moore from Fishbone. Um yes. Easy Eve, they have the Easy did some recordings with Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what happened to him, but it but it happened. So it's
1: not not surprising, not to me.
0: Exactly, you know, because there was a mutual love for this for those guys and just stuff like that and. So I can kind of see where, you know, but I do get kind of curious though. So what would happen like if the like if those doors were a bit more cracked open, you know? Well, we got something pretty cool or we got like Joy's album with uh backing them up being essentially dancing bears.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, I you know, you, you said it. I didn't. That you just nailed it perfectly. I think that's the whole purpose of what we talked about earlier about music being the universal conglomerate. It, it's really about being ballsy enough And being bold enough to say this is what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. Fuck what you think. And I, I, you know, of course, as me and you have both discussed on numerous occasions, I think people like Fishbone, of course, Prince, Lenny Kravitz. um, You know, I, I mean, of course, the list goes on and on. Sonic Youth. I mean, even though, of course, you know, they're white, but it doesn't matter. They 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 belong to that plethora of groups and bands that just chose to really do what the fuck they wanted. To me, Stone Temple Powers don't get enough credit, man. Like, they really... None. A lot of things that they did, Smashing Pumpkins too. like, there's a lot of things that they did, you know, even though people always say, I don't like Billy's voice. It's not even about the voice to me. It's just about that they're ballsy enough to make a song like today and then turn around and do, you know, um, Butterfly Wings, Bullet Butterfly Wings. Like, so it, it's just... I think it's all about being ballsy and being... Um, you know, just just being true to who you are, and I always say that that's the artist that win the most. Because even some of the, I mean, Fishbone has never had a gold album, but their first five six albums are classic material. I mean, ask any Fishbone fan, and then even people who weren't invested into them as a commercial unit, which is interesting to me because considering that they were all over MTV, you know, you would think so that's how you know that there's something in the water that doesn't that doesn't quite um, com- compute or or come up because Fishbone was all over MTV. You know they played the biggest festivals known to man. I mean, you've seen it. <laughs> and the thing is that you would think that selling units would have been imp- in- imperative, but then here's where it gets re- it, here's where it gets even more weird. Then a group called Living Color from my hood comes out, and all of a sudden they go platinum. So, and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, they both bands were on the same label. Yeah. So it's just, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. I just think that, you know, somebody dropped the ball somewhere, and by no stretch of the imagination, I didn't think that Living Color was mainstream. They, they came hard. Like, the thing is that things become mainstream when the majority of white fans t- um, attach themselves to it. Cool. Anybody that purposely makes a main, like, like Michael Jackson purposely made Thriller. People forget that story. Like, he did that record on purpose because he was mad at the fact that he didn't get the Rolling Stone cover after selling 7 million records with Off The Wall. So he went into the studio and says, I'm going to create a pop album. I promise you, this album is going to be, even, it's going to be the biggest album of all time. He believed it. See, he, he spoke it, oh, yeah. and he did. So, so it's really about just really taking the advantage of um, being ballsy enough to, to create albums and EPs or whatever you want to do that will stand the test of time or that will generate an audience, especially with the type of shit that we're dealing with now with streaming and all that kind of stuff. You got to get in where you fit in. That's the bottom line. You got to get in where you fit in and just cater to your fan base. That always worked for me. I, I just cater to the people that love what I do. And then at the same time, stack some platinum credits. Why not? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do Damn. some big shit because it just leads to even more bigger shit. So yeah.
0: When it came to like music of the nineties, I always kind of felt like it was a diamond. It was more of a like a Pentagon of artists. Mm-hmm. Twenty-seven spies, bad brains, fishbone, oh. living color, and faith no more. <laughs> yes. Those guys are like the Pentagon, basically inspired everything. All the ska mm-hmm. bands always quoted fishbone. Um Raise against machine. You know what? Tom Roll did me a solid actually, because I think I tweeted him one time. It's like, yo, Doctor Know's not doing too good. Put this, put this GoFundMe out. He did me a solid. Um, shoot. Wow. That's, and, awesome.
1: That's awesome. That means that means he still cares. I like I like that.
0: Oh yeah 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 um shoot who else 20% of spies actually it was uh the dude from Corn. he saw Jimmy Hazel. Jimmy Hazel exactly you know Hazel's a cool dude too I, I admit you ever seen a picture what I put up on on IG or Facebook where I'm just like my eye like my eye really wide-eyed and everything
1: I probably did you know it's it, it, so much be going on during the course of the day so
0: yeah yeah and also who else so yeah, all those guys, and also Faith No More actually, and what what the genre bending stuff too with Mike Patton, I kind of feel they paid the way for all the bands in the '90s. You know, the old checked those bands somehow.
1: Absolutely, you felt that, that's that, the truth is the truth, baby. It's 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 written in stone, and anybody that that says otherwise, I'm like fuck you. Like that's you better know your history. That's exactly what spearheaded that. You, you exactly i can't even i can't even put no more on what you just said man like i i'll try to find a sentence but it wouldn't even equal to what you just said that's exactly what it is they it, it, it's a torchbearer it op- it opened the door it, it, it opened the door like without without question i don't think they were i mean i'm number one time you're gonna laugh at this one i, I think i probably might have told you this story i remember one time um we were opening up the fishbone you know enemy squad we you know part of Intimate Squad. We, we were opening up for Fishbone. So those, those are big brothers, you know, Norwood, um, you know, Kibby, everybody. Like, those, those are boys. So it was like we, we, we were just excited to be there because after we opened up, you know, we checking up the show like everybody else. Like, we it from backstage, we watch the show. So I'm hanging outside, and I remember people were still trying to get in. And I remember somebody said, um, um, so, yeah, who's Fishbone? And you know what I said? I got, I got, I felt offended by that. See, I, I, you know, I take that shit personally. Who's Fishbone? I said, ask no doubt. And everybody's like, ooh, accurate I though. Was, I, just so we clear, I wasn't throwing no shade. I promise you. No, no, no. I was not throwing no shade. I was being very sincere because guess what? If you rolled up on Gwen Stefani right now, she would tell you that. Absolutely but that's what i love about them because all those bands that became big in the 90s based upon the influence of bad brains 24 7 and living color and fishbone and and prince for good measure all those guys that became that they all they they made sure like this is what we go i mean here's the Soundgarden did a version of ohio players fop oh yeah I'm like, oh, shit, what y'all know about Because that's really for the deep funk heads. You got to know, anybody can quote Skin Tight and Fire. Everybody can quote that. But Fop, you got to be a special kind of real diehard to know that Ohio Players record. So my thing was that to see Soundgarden, no doubt paying homage and Red Hot Chili Peppers, letting it be known. And of course, without them, you know, without question, it's a two-way street. George Clinton produced their first project. And in return, the audience that was checking out um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, all those guys got into George Clinton. So it's like, it's a fair exchange. I've always said that on, on many numerous occasions, but to, to piggyback off of what you just said, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, hell yeah. I mean, there there would be none of that in that 90s era if it wasn't for that, you know? that's And that's an L.A. thing, to be honest with you, in terms of that that part of Win with, with Stefani and Orange yeah. Marsh- County. That whole shit. And then it was easy to see because when when I first heard Spiderwebs and all that shit, you hear the sky influence. It's it's so obvious. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, just make sure y'all pay homage to the guys who did that shit first. And they did. So that's always been the thing with me. That's why I don't get into the the whole racial discussion. Anybody can do any music that they choose to do. Just make sure you pay homage. That's the bottom line. Look, I'm a black man. And all the black people who influenced me you see, I put I put them on blast in a good way. I make sure people know these who my heroes are. This is where I got this shit from.
0: Exactly. You know, it was kind of funny because I was just about to ask what's the difference between appropriation and appreciation. I was about to ask that.
1: Oh, cultural.
0: You, you ready to get into it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, this is my definition of it, and many many people agree with me. So I'm I'm going to say it to be. A fact because it's based upon The facts So even with my opinion It's still going to be factual Because of the fact that I'm drawing from the facts Don't lose me <laughs> So here, here's the thing cultural appropriation Is basically what I just said It basically means that Anybody Now of course in this term for the first half I'm talking about white folks I'm going to say what it is Culture vulture appropriation is basically when somebody from another race, as a musician or artist, adapts a style to their artistry, and do not give the proper credit on where they got it from when they do interviews. See when they do it, that's the whole point of an interview. When you do it, I'm entering into your view. That's people don't break down words no more, bro. That's what an interview is. I'm entering into your view of how you see things. So my thing is that when these people sit in front of the the camera and people are asking you questions about where did you get your style from or what music did you listen to, it is your responsibility as an artist to let the fans and the whole world know who are your heroes. So this way, we can have a better understanding of who you are as an artist, who you are as a musician, if, if, if you play, and even more so as a person, believe it or not, because the whole thing is that, you know, we have to see the general interest of what you built upon. So that's what a culture vulture is, basically, when people just take shit and then try to front like they created something new when it has the origin, because all things have origins no matter which way you look at it. And that's, that's just the truth of the matter. But here's where it gets interesting. The second half of it is that we also have black culture vultures, too. You ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. You know, what black culture, you know what black culture vultures are? Black culture vultures are black people, black artists, and musicians who are not as talented. So, when they're in the studio, like some of these guys got record deals because they knew people. So, basically, what happens is that they hang around other people who are way more talented than they are. That's how ideas get stolen. That's how copyrights get rearranged. That's how people that didn't write shit on that particular song gets to put their name on it. I know you heard those stories before. Yeah, and I'm not going to say no names for the sake of this conversation, but I'm, just, but I'm giving you an example. The whole point is that I hear, all, I hear my people screaming all day, yeah, culture votes. I said, yeah, y'all screaming at white people, but some of y'all blacks are culture voters too for the sake of our people. And I've said it numerous times, it's not to ever shit or doubt my people, because I'm all about my people, but I'm also a realist too. The bottom line is this. In my 20-something years in this business, I have had more issues with my own people than I've had with white, Hispanic, whatever you want. I've never had to go through that. I've never had to go through that, through the bullshit. So... I say it again. When people, you, you trust people as far as you throw them, but we use that word "culture vulture" too loosely sometimes, and we always apply it to white people. I'm like, it ain't just about white people. There's a lot of culture vultures in our own community. Period. You know, I call them all. I'm, I'm, I'm a spade. I call a spade a spade, man. It doesn't matter. Now I said that. The, now I just say the main meaning of it is definitely whites who appropriate culture and tries to adapt it and don't give credit. And then here's another thing too. In my personal opinion, some things are just not for other races to do. That's my opinion. I feel like if you didn't do the homework enough, why would you try it? Like I made the perfect example and I wasn't I wasn't throwing no shade. When the whole twerking thing became a phenomenon, the first thing I said you have to have ass to twerk. <laughs> True. If you don't have ass, you should not be twerking. No, what, what's twerking? You ain't twerking. You What <laughs> <laughs> The fuck is you trying to do? <laughs> to me, that's cultural appropriation. Cause girl, you know you, that's the whole objective of twerking is if you got a little bit of shit back here, you know how to make that shit. I'm just I'm calling it what it is for the females. If you can't twerk, you should not be trying to twerk. To me, that's culture appropriation, in my opinion. <laughs> that's just me. If if you ain't got no ass like that to be twerking, you shouldn't be trying. Oh, you twerking because you see it's, it's it's the new thing now. No, first of all, it's not the new thing. There's been twerking. Look, look at la Crew videos. Twerking been around. This ain't nothing new. It's just that once something becomes mainstream in white media, now all of a sudden, a whole lot of white girls, they, they can do it. Yeah, I'm twerking. I'm twerking. I'm twerking. No, 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 no honey. <laughs> no. No, to me, that's cultural appropriation, in my opinion. Now now, 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 if you are a white girl that do got ass, and you've been doing it, and, you're that, and you've been that turned up before it became a phenomenon, then you're you official. I know a lot of women like that. You're official. The other ones that be just trying to jump the bandwagon and shit, I, I, I hate that shit. Like, unless you know the history, like, unless, again, unless you got you shouldn't be doing it. That's the whole objective of twerking. You have to have body and, and has to twerk. I mean to make it about that. I just wanted to make a point. It's just like, come on, man. You got to, you know, you got to be realistic, too.
0: <laughs> so, Sarah J, you're excluded from this conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, wow. that's, that's even better. You said even better than me. Wow. I
0: grew up on Blowfly. What do you think? Um... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Um, I'll put it this way. But okay, that's another thing too. Like for the first time, I heard the word "twerk." Actually, was was from uh, Funkadelic. Actually, on Uncle Jam wants you arm. Uncle Uncle Jam wants you album. That's the first time heard, first time I heard the word actually.
1: Yeah, it didn't twerk Now oh, there yeah. you go.
0: So George shoot. is
1: always ahead of his time. You know that.
0: Absolutely, you know.
1: I call him Dad da for a reason.
0: <laughs> you know, I think another thing too, because um, even back in the day, where right, he was doing shows with The Stooges and. With eating the stooges and stuff you know well well yeah
1: i mean the stooges mc5 um ted nugent the old ted nugent not the political motherfucker that we see today who's disgusting but the old ted nugent the one that actually was more known for his guitar playing than, than his political beliefs but um yeah and then vanilla fudge my guys you know um carmina pieces in my top 10 favorite drummers of all time and as you know the story already they were on the road with them and funkadelic equipment didn't come in um quick enough for them to, to play, and they were the opening act, so Vanilla Fudge let um, Parliament use their equipment, and they said, oh, shit, this is the sound that we've been trying to get, like, they've been, they've been wanting it, because, you know, George has been trying to experiment with playing loud and, and, and doing a transformation of, of rock and roll and putting that, and putting that whole thing together, but um, they didn't know how to do it, and then that one night when they played with Vanilla Fudge's equipment, things changed. And that's how, that's that's actually how they became Funkadelic, from what Billy Bass Nelson told me.
0: Yeah, that was another thing too. I was thinking about also. I remember hearing a story about when he saw Arthur Brown live, and he was like, "He said that motherfucker set his head on fire." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still crack up at that, you know. Real shit. Like Real shit. whenever somebody posts a video, of somebody doing stupid and they end up combusting, I was like, "Wonder, the, the crazy world." Arthur Brown's this shit. You know, yeah. only five get that reference.
1: Yeah, you know. I get it. I, I, I've known it for so long. My grandfather had stories on,
0: on that shit. Alright, so I remember you mentioned you were a gamer and everything, right? So, one of my favorite composers is Koji Kondo, actually.
1: Would Ooh, you... okay, yeah.
0: Letter. Trust me, there were a couple of times just for certain guitar solos, I tried to add the Legend of Zelda theme in Weather. My, the song I do call Weather, right? I tried to add the <laughs> Legend of Zelda theme in there. Sometimes wow. it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, So, would you say... That might have been a slight influence on you too, you know, like maybe in the back and maybe in the back of the recesses, you know.
1: What for games?
0: Yeah, gaming wise, maybe like even musical, oh, like shit. you I might mean, pick up a oof. melody or like might been a slight influence. Um,
1: Shinobi, <laughs> Ninja Gaiden. Um, <laughs> I'm taking people back. Um, definitely NBA Jam. Double dribble from Nintendo. Remember Double Dribble? Yeah. Double Dribble, Um, my favorite video game of all time, hands down, is without question um, Metal Slug Anthology. Um, All all the Metal Slugs were just incredible. Um, What else? Um, The Punisher, the the original Punisher arcade video game, that version. Um, WWF Superstars Wrestling. I I, I can go on and on, man. A a lot of games really inspired uh, Mercenaries for PlayStation 2. Um, Cause you know, you gotta remember, I remember. I always loved war. I, I've always been fascinated with military because you know, my grandfather being an Air Force guy, and a couple of my uncles were in the Navy and stuff, and I have two cousins that were in the Army. So I've always been fascinated with the culture. So I, of course, I knew about it more than anything else about you know the rankings and things. So I love video games that always played those sentiments with um with war. Um, turtles, of course. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I had a quick flashback want to get into a heated argument over Legend of Zelda.
1: Zelda was the shit. And oh, speaking of which, Contra definitely. Yes. Um, C- Contra definitely had a um a influence without question. Um oh, Marvel versus Capcom. I mean simply just for the, I, I think I think we all can agree to that simply for the fact that um, Marvel versus Capcom including all of the heroes that we love of our love it Marvel DC worlds and any video game that includes any Marvel or DC characters I'm pretty much into I'm all for it I still have all my old comic books so I'm, I'm very well invested <laughs> in that man go for it man go for it
0: one thing i'm trying to figure out though all right of course you know the proto-punk band called death right of course all right apparently they were recording for the whole world to see at the same time george clinton and parliament Funkadelic was there around the same time right and Mm -hmm. apparently the um, the guitar player who passed on right, him and George got into a weed war. Actually, it was <laughs> exactly right, and it, weed war. Wow. exactly they're trying to figure out who had the better bag of bud, so to speak. And mm. I can't remember who I can't remember who won the war because I got to find it up up on Uriah's page actually, right? But then mm-hmm. I get kind of curious though. I wonder what would happen if if you know George you know added David to one of the uh, one of those sessions. I do get kind of curious sometimes you know
1: oh uh, yeah that that would be
0: who. That, that's it it, it
1: it it would be a game changer for sure totally i promise you that much
0: you know all right so speaking of production stuff what's your philosophy production wise you for,
1: know for production um for me once again it's almost like my creative process i think um when certain things speak to um the, the nature of how you put things together like um it all depends it all depends on the genre of music I think when I when I go for the more funk R&B stuff my philosophy has always been the combination of digital and analog because of course R&B bass guitar drums the more organic the better so for me um, I've always done a thing where I made sure I had the best of both worlds. And P-Funk was an influence when it came to that for me, because to be able to have a song that has a drum machine, but that shit still has everything else included. So in other words, or better yet, even better. Um, Slide the Family Stone. People don't realize um, it's a family affair. That's a drum machine. That ain't yeah. drums.
0: Rhythm. It's a
1: rhythm. Really, exactly. So, It's a drum machine, just bass, guitar, keyboards, and piano. So when I got into hip-hop, see, this is the great thing about hip-hop, is that, you know, when things like, you know, the SP-1200, shout out to P-Rock, the SP-1200 and, um, you know, the MPC-2000, and even my first drum machine that I had on my Casio keyboard, I began to realize, well, what if I just took the drum machine from this and just put loud bass on top of it and that was based upon the influence of what i've heard p funk do what i've heard the gap band do what i've heard the bar Kays do because remember when the 80s came along they all had to change their sound because everybody had to downsize the big bands cameo remember cameo had like 13 members and what happened after that they downsized to like four or five by the time the 80s rolled around so they they the sound got even simpler the funk was still there but they still had like listen to um um, single life. And that's a drum machine. But the thing is that even with it being a drum machine, the live Fender bass was still there. The guitar was still there. The rock and roll part was still there. So production-wise for me, it depends on the mood that I'm in. It all depends on, if I'm doing hip-hop, of course, the first thing I'm thinking about is um, I'm going from using the either live drums, to go more organic, or I'm even going with the MPC 2000 to create a drum part and filter a snare that I might like, and then I'll throw the live instrumentation on top of that and build upon that. And then sometimes, if I'm doing an EDM pop record, I don't use. I just use all the keyboards. I don't even go. I, I go to. I go to about that Prince with. One of my favorite songs on the Sign of Time album is um. I think about it, baby, all the time. Alright. That ain't nothing but a drum machine, keyboards, and strings, and he only plays one guitar solo. You feel me? So for me, it all depends on it. It all depends on what mood I'm in. So that's really my process for a lot of that.
0: Hmm. You know, speaking of Cameo, I kind of pitched this idea to Dirty Walt. But one thing I've always wanted to see, was one thing I really feel should have happened, at least like, you know, regarding 80s Cameo, it was the second, I think it was the Fishbone In Your Face album, right? I really feel they should have done a tour because their sounds were kind of parallel. Oh,
1: you said In
0: The Face Of The Funk? No, 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 Fishbone's In Your Face album and also oh, in, Cameo. Oh, sorry, in Your Face uh, yeah. I always oh, yeah. felt like since they were sonically similar enough, except said Fishbone's a wee bit heavier because they're more on the rock side, I've always felt that would, uh-huh. that would have been a really cool tour.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, here's the thing, I mean, of course, Fishbone loved Cameo too because and in, in more retrospects, besides P-Funk, Fishbone was more adjacent to what Cameo was doing in the 80s. Because if you ever saw Cameo's live show back in that day, remember, the combination of the quirky simps, the hardcore funk rock. I mean, if you listen to Word Up, listen to that bass. Yeah. It's almost It's funk, but it's almost it's still rockish.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah
1: that's why if you notice when a lot of cover bands do the song they can't help but put distortion on that part because even though it's a funk thing dedicated to hip-hop it had a lot of rock overtones.
0: True. Corn did a cover a word up.
1: It would not have surprised me if Fishbone and Cameo would, would have did a tour together because both of those groups have always played the best of being able to do a lot of things besides funk rock and R and B. I mean one of my favorite cameo songs is um Um I've got your image. It went in and on me hand in hand. It straight up he would they went straight people don't even realize that's Larry Blackman singing the first part before Tommy Jenkins comes in. That's straight jazz. That sounded like nothing that Cameo would ever do on a record. True. Same thing with Fishbone. Their version of Freddie's Day. Oh yeah. It's not something, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like you expect it, but they did it so much in their way, and I love that. You know what I mean? Like, they said, okay, this is how we would do Freddy's Dad and I love that. They were ballsy enough to take one of the best songs, or a song like Everyday Sunshine, where it's so poppy, but then at the very end, my favorite part of that whole song is when they go gospel. Oh, yeah. In your darkest hour... And your time and me like they, they, I'm like that. That combination, you, you have to be again. Going back to what I said earlier, you have to be ballsy to be in that frame of mind to go from hip hop to funk rock to R and B. You know what I mean? And you know, it, it's that would have been a great tour, man. That would have been an awesome tour.
0: Totally. You know, that reminds me too regarding cameo. Damn, it was on the tip of my tongue actually, but no, okay, another. Okay, wait, now I remember. Another another term was a funk band actually. Okay, what was that song by by Gap Band? Till you Dropped the bomb on me? Yeah. Uh huh. If you listen really close to those drums, like that's like a straight rock beat. Like just, yeah. it's a straight damn near marching rock beat actually. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, that's why if you the marching bands play, you drop the bomb on me. That, like the HBCUs. Oh yeah, that's one makes... of the songs the marching bands play. And then even with that, the last time I saw Gap Band do that live they put a serious rock thing under
0: that which makes sense because i heard like the synth is the, kind of distorted so it like a, it's like it's like i can't say i can't say i can't say the word the, the word that starts with s so is keyboard it's just my tongue flies on my mouth you know what i'm mm-hmm. trying to say synthesizer see um it's like a really distorted sound where it sounds like a rock guitar right uh-huh but it was a, it was parallel to it but it still made its own you know i've always been intrigued by that too you know but all right, speaking well,
1: I of, mean, the, the Gap Band, I mean, here's the thing with them. They they had a very unique sound. And, and, and in the world of funk during that period, it's kind of hard to um, distinguish yourself when you got bands like Cameo, Ohio Players, the Ozzy Brothers were still kicking everybody's ass, even though they're like the oldest of the bunch, the Commodores, you know. So the Gap Band was very smart. The combination of Roberts bass playing Charlie's vocals of course and then and keep in mind that's Charlie Wilson actually playing the synth bass on all the gap band stuff. A lot of people don't know that. Really? That's yeah, that's Charlie.
0: They never mention that. that. They yeah, never mention that, you know. Like they rebranded well, Charlie Wilson so goddamn much you kinda of forget certain deals. You know? Well,
1: I mean that that's the thing that makes those bands special because as I got deeper into the funk part of my, my sound, and that's like I'm talking about like twelve or thirteen years old, I had to start making an understanding on what made Cool and the Gang different from Earth Wind and Fire? What made Earth Wind and Fire different from Funkadelic? What made Funkadelic different from um pleasure? What made pleasure different from um um, um confunction? You know, like just, just putting it all together and trying to understand that all bands do incredible funk music but they also diverse too because you know most of the funk most of the funk has they hated when the bands did ballads. Like people crucified the Commodores and then I said, but y'all don't crucify the Ozzy brothers. I said, the whole point is just that I realized... This is what this is what helped me put together my whole thing with Planet 12. I wanted to have the best of all worlds. I wanted to make sure that the musicians out there would be satisfied enough to hear my shit to, to be able to want to play it or listen to it. At the same time, I wanted the girls to shake their ass. I want the girls to fall in love with somebody. You know what I mean? Like if they just, I want the girls to... To to persuade their boyfriends to to bring them to the show, so we can have a song like that. It's a balance. I always say you have to have balance. I got, I not thank God you know because you know me and Lionel, we talk about this all the time you know. And I always said I said you know you, you you're a genius for that. I said because you could have easily wavered and did what you thought that people wanted you to do and you did exactly what the hell you wanted to do. So that makes Lionel a musical rebel. Lionel, the record label didn't say to Lionel, we need a pop record. Lionel said, I got this song here. We got all this dope ass funk. Let's do something for the ladies. Let's do something for the ladies. <laughs> Same thing with rock. Cause you've noticed rock, a lot of rock artists got, could like sticks got it the worst.
0: Oh yeah. Because
1: Ooh, you yeah. know, I, I, see that, thats the thing. Because if you alienate, and if you alienate, and that's always been my thing. And matter of fact, if you, I don't know if you know this story, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. Perfect example. Buster Rhymes, put your hands where my eyes can see. Do you know the story behind that? No, fill me in. Okay, and I'm gonna fill you in. And those who, those who watch me on Instagram, they, they'll get the story too. Um, so Buster was putting together an album. Which is called When Disaster Strikes It's actually actually his best album In my opinion That's his best his best work Oh yeah And basically You know The first thing Was well coming out Because everybody Know Bus is very animated you know, <laughs> you know The whole shit Dungeon Dragon You know that whole thing Yeah So he was hanging out With Diddy one time And Diddy Said to him Yo bus, let, let me let, let me holler at you For a minute man Now I understand the animated part of who you are, and what, I love it my damn self. It's dope as hell. But you alienating the ladies, Playboy. Why don't you try doing a song where you don't use your signature rasp? And Buster said he had never thought about that. He's like, uh, you know what? Let's try it. So that's why we here hit you with another land. So what you're saying, yo. Silly with your ice, Billy with the dilly, yo. Like, that's, and, P, and mind you, to this day, I mean, I mean, Buster got classics and hits, but I can truthfully say, that is probably Buster's most commercial song, and that is the one song that you can play in any club anywhere in America or overseas, and the dance floor, they rush that damn dance floor. True. You know you understand what I'm saying? So, So that, so Think, uh, think about it. Think about that for one second. That whole, the whole purpose of that and the way that that drive-in, then you're thinking Buster's gonna come on so, and he could've easily, he could've he could have ignored Buster and been like, ah, I'm doing what I'm doing. And he could've ignored Diddy's, and been like, I'm doing what I'm doing. No. Did not do it. <laughs> he said, he got smooth on him. And if you notice, over the years, he would have a couple of records. Matter of fact, one of my favorite Buster records is, um, um, touch it, bring it. And the, what he said, get low, but he starts rhyming yeah. real low, and then he, and then he turns up. That's actually one of, if not in my top 10 Buster Rhyme songs. So um, it, it all depends. Like you have to really, sometimes you have to listen in that intent purpose and, and what makes the, um, the overall picture different. And I think that a lot of times when you try to, you have to get the balance. And I learned that from all of the funk and rock groups, you know. Of course, I favor the heavier stuff more because that's just why I'm, I'm an aggressive musician. I Brilliant. favor... That type of shit, definitely more so than anything else. But, however, you know, I also know that I have a lot of female fans and there is a sensitive side to who I am. So you get to express that.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: It's smart. And plus, Lionel Richie gave me the best advice. And this is before me and him even got close. He used to always say it in every interview. And he said it to my face. I said, What you always say, love never what? He said, Law, love never goes out of style. And he's right. That's why Lionel is still eating in 2020, <laughs> and the, and no disrespect to the Commodores, is still going strong, but it ain't the same vibe. True, it, it ain't the same vibe at all, bro. So that's why you know it's different. And mind you, the Commodores have to sing most of the ballads that he wrote when he was in the group because they want to hear those songs.
0: Oh yeah,
1: you know. So you gotta. You gotta it's, it's about having balance, and my fans will agree. Like they they love the fact that I have balance in my music. Of course. The majority of my shit is going to always be up-tempo or mid-tempo because I love to party. I oh, love yeah. slow dancing too, but I love to party. I like to turn up. You know, you had a hard week. I, I'm, I'm from the working class world, so I know what that's like when you had a hard fucking a hard fucking week and it's, it's, time, it's time to get open. You know what I mean? It's time to have some fun. You don't want to hear no ballot. <laughs> ballads are for slow dancing and, of course, bedroom and baby making. That's what the ballads are for. So, yeah.
0: One off-topic quip, though. But speaking of Commodores, go for it. I've always felt the Commodores and Al Green with just one steel guitar and a fiddle from, from ruling the country charts of the seventies. I've always felt this way. What for, for,
1: for the country charts you said?
0: Yeah, I always felt like the Commodores if they added one fiddle, if they added a fiddle and a steel guitar, they would have ruled the country charts easy.
1: Um. Well, the Commodores kind of did. I mean, but through, and of course through the influence of Lionel Ritchie because when he brought in Sail on. They was like, the fuck is this? Lionel, we're an R&B funk group, man. What's up with this country music shit? Thank God for it. Number one across all boards. So you have the Commodores did a country song that went number one on the R&B charts and number one on the country charts as well. But you're right, though. I think if they would have deeply added those different elements of, um, of, of what makes a country record country, especially during that period... They would have probably did more on the charts, but you know Lionel's solo career kind of did that because with songs like Deep River Woman and he did that with um I think it was was the it Alabama or the Oak Ridge Boys one of them groups he had them singing background. Yeah, oh well, of course I mean well pretty much he gave Kenny Rogers he gave Kenny Rogers what if not the biggest hit of his career or one of them at least besides the besides the gambler of course. But
0: you know the story behind that behind Lady Ray? Of
1: course, you know I do. Me and Lionel talked about that shit for about an hour.
0: <laughs> you can literally say Lionel shit out of hit for
1: Yeah, literally. <laughs> I thought that story. I mean, look, look, look. Lionel, by I mean, you know, I get emotional. When I talk about Big grow because he's another one for you. And I'm, I'm going to give you this one. Um, all those years and, and the end of this. Um, yeah, that part in in all night long. Um John Delite safete moya. Yeah, jumbo jumbo, where's the party? Oh, we're going. Oh, jambalá, la jumbilite septe moya. Yeah, jumbo jumbo. They asked him, Hey Lano, what does that mean? And you know what Lano said? What? Absolutely nothing. I'm like what? He said, No, I I I basically made it up. If he said if you if you listen to it, I'm singing English in the second line. Jambolite, say to me, yeah, Yeah, Jamba Jamba, where's the party? Oh, we're going. People don't even catch that. Oh, my God. So basically, Lionel got created, he said, because at that time, a lot of the African music was starting to come out, so he wanted to kind of throw a nod in there to make something applicable to the world beat, which is, to me, genius once again. Because first of all, the whole vibe of that record before it gets to the chorus is what? Reggae. Where my friends, the time has come. You know, you know what Lionel said to me? Lionel said, to, he told me this when he was on the beach chilling in Hawaii. He said to me, he said, I was doing my fake ass reggae action. because I, I lo- He said, I love reggae music. So I was doing my fake ass Bob Marley action. Where my friends, the time has come. Red their roof and have some fun. Throw their way, the work to be done. Like he, he was going for that Jimmy Cliff Bob Marley sort of thing, and then when oh, yeah. it gets to the chorus, then it's straight pop R and B. So anybody don't think that 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 don't think Lionel Richie's not a genius, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's how I feel about that shit because it takes a special kind of mental as a songwriter to say we're going to incorporate this, we're going to incorporate this, but it's still pretty much going to be in the vein of pop R and B so um it's, it's just interesting to me like I, I say once again in those textures of lionel being bold enough to take a risk and include all these different things as he's killing the pop market you know
0: oh yeah you know that kind of reminds me a little bit actually of all right this is a song called called prison calling and it's all right by adrian Santana, right mm-hmm. and the thing about it is it sounds like it's in english right the trouble is it's totally gibberish but it sounds like it's in English, right? Because that's what he's trying to make it sound like, right? Yeah. So that reminded me a little bit of what Lana Ritchie did, you know? And the weird thing about it is it had that Mondo Green effect, so you're trying to figure what the lyrics are, but it doesn't mean anything, you know? Because he had a... Celentano had a thing for, like, you know, like, like you know, 70s, like, like late 60s and 70s funk, of course, so he's trying to he was trying to pay tribute, you know? That was the whole idea.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean... the like I said earlier in our interview, man, like it's it's no right or wrong way to do music. I just think that one has to be um, fearless and ballsy enough to take risks as an artist and to stand firm in um, in in what you believe in from your artistry. Because remember, as many people that's not gonna like it, there's gonna be many people that love it. Totally. So you just focus on the people who who love what you do, and that's always been the thing. So I, I'm not surprised. I mean, look if if In a Garden of Eden could become a number one record,
0: <laughs> I just love the story how that came about too.
1: Yeah, that that story is incredible, and that goes to show you once again, no real rules, man. None. Shit, you do a 60 minute record. I mean, I mean, James Brown pretty much proved that, and so did Ray Charles. I mean, hmm. people don't realize. Um, tell me what I said. He's freestyling. That wasn't written down. You can tell it wasn't written down. It makes sense, you know. Think about it. I mean, he's just making up words. But um see the girl with the diamond ring, but then she knows how to cause what else are you gonna say after the ring. You're right. You know, or then tell your mom, tell your and take it down to Arkansas. That doesn't make any damn sense.
0: But none. It <laughs> but, it but it sounded worked. good.
1: But it sounded good and it worked. That's the power of good music. if, if you can make it if you can make it believable. Why the fuck not? I mean, here's a better one for you. Mary J. Blige. Because to this day in 2020, I do not know what the fuck a dancery is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it back in, in this dancery. What the hell is a dancery? But when they asked her in the interview, she said, I just made this shit up. I love it. I said, good. I'm just saying that because I'm just like, I've never heard that shit. The dancery. You understand what I'm saying? So it's it's crazy that, you know, if Mary J. Blood and what she said, um that's what she said, um, don't need no hateration, holleration. Now those were I mean, holler was already a word and haters a word, but to add an Asian onto it, because now it's in the, it's in the dictionary now, from what I understand. It is. It is. So yeah. that goes to show you because a lot of broken language that us black folks came up with I mean, whoever thought we would see the day where pig Latin would become mainstream? Oh yeah. Pig Latin is just the way that, that us black folks talk And we didn't want you in our fucking conversation. So now when I hear people about like, for sizzle, my nizzle, I'm like, interesting, my mother and let talk like that back in the day. So this is what proves my point once again. It's nothing new under the sun. Everything has a origin, man. Oh, yeah. I can't stress it enough. So that's why I be laughing when I see a lot of these kids, you know, that, that are my kids' age, you know, my kids know better than God because look look how they were raised, look how they grew up. So even if they, they understand they learn that. Oh yeah. It's a different, you know, there's always an origin to everything that's that's being presented. So we don't get into that whole, oh, they doing that new thing. Oh, it ain't that new. Trust me. Di- no. I mean, some things may be different. There are, there are a few new things. Don't get me wrong. But
0: the
1: yeah. majority of the times, I bet you any amount of money that there is an origin somewhere that has not been discovered. True. A lot of, a lot of minds got blown a few years ago. When people thought, you know, people, I don't know how people still think that Michael Jackson invented the moonwalk. I don't know. And then Jeffrey Daniels, the one that taught it to him, you know, he realized that he didn't come up with the moonwalk either. Bill Bailey did. I I saw that clip from the Apollo. I was like, he's moonwalking. This is 1945. Oh, yeah. He's moonwalking. I'm like, oh, shit. See what I mean? And mind you. Jeffrey, being as humble as he is, he said he never saw that clip before. That's real. Cause Damn, I'm not gonna lie. If I would have never saw that clip before, I would really go on the fact that Jeffrey and the rest of his guys created it, and Michael Jackson never took credit for that. That's what I love about Michael. Michael never said that he invented it. I love that about him. He never said that. When they had him on Oprah, he said no. He said that that's a breakdance move. That's that's an, that's an old school breakdance move. It is. Yeah, Yeah. but see, we know that as a people, we know
0: that. Yeah,
1: but see, this is what happens with mainstream white media, and black kids that don't that don't do the research. Yeah, it's a two way street. It's a two way street, bro. People that don't do the research and people that don't know it, they'll go on thinking that Justin Bieber or somebody, you know, and and I laugh sometimes. Like the, the greatest, I'll give you a perfect example. Um when Britney Spears, you know, oh yeah, she's so, that's so, that's so original. She coming with the schoolgirl outfit. I said, um, the good girls? Hello? Remember the good girls? Yeah. Joyce, the Monica, and Shereen?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, sweetness is my weakness. Look at that video. That's who started the good girl, bad girl, um, school outfit thing. They did it first. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, because their career wasn't expansive. They only, they only had two albums, really, and that, but, but the influence is what it is and that predates any of that shit that came in 2000 now the question is does britney spears know that i, I would be very think. interested in knowing if she knows that because again leave it to mainstream white media and they'll give britney the credit all day and meanwhile if i come around their area and i talk about the good girls People are going to even be intrigued like oh wow I said well this documented so you even, look, even if you don't take my word for it look it up This is 1989 Britney Spears Was still doing star search at Six years old when the good girls was out <laughs> True You know, And I'm not being biased because those are my girls You know what I mean I'm saying that because The truth is the truth This is the reason why when I get historic on my pages and I tell these stories and do these posts, you know, some of them are long, some of them are short. depends on the mood I'm in, depends on what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. It's very important that anybody who's trying to get into this business understand and learn the history of this shit. It's, it's so important, man. I, I can't stress it enough. And like, fuck The, ta- the talent is going to be what it is, cause if you have talent, you're going to win anyway. But if you don't have the knowledge of where your talent comes from, it makes no sense. You're wa- you're wasting time. That's how I look at it.
0: Correct. You know, I was thinking but it's That's a really good point. Like, you know, okay, whenever I have, like, a Bama or something, it's literally that. It's also a history lesson, too. You know, like, all right, here's the deal. My lead singer Danielle, she grew up in a Christian household, so she's exposed to Christian rock, and I felt bad for her Striper! Ugh, I got, I got <laughs> blocked Striper! I got blocked by one of the guys yes, from Striper. All right, but here's the thing. He,
1: said, uh, he did a master pee on me, bro. He said...
0: All right. The closest I oh, ever like,
1: don't like Striper, huh? The
0: closest I ever get to Christian rock really was Bad Brains and Bob Marley. That's the closest I ever get.
1: Oh, well, I, I hear, you, I, hear you, I hear, you look. I mean, look, it's not for everybody, but um, <laughs> I, I, honestly, to be to be real with you, I'm, I'm gonna give, you, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you finish your, your statement, but I want to say this real quick. Believe it or not, bro, what I did love about Striper, and I'm gonna say this. Because, you know, of course, as, as everybody knows, I'm, I'm, I'm an unorthodox Christian, but born again believer, more spiritual than religious. Yeah. Um, the thing is that what my, my mother actually wanted to turn me on to, um, to to Stripe, actually, believe it or not, because when she saw I was getting to rock and roll, her whole thing was I had everybody else, you know, everybody you can think of. But at the same time, what it showed me at that time was that, okay, so gospel music is not restricted to... the. Thank you, Lord, thank you. It's not restricted to, to, to what we know gospel music to be. So that means if I wanted to do a song praising the Lord, it could be heavy metal. Like, it could be real. True. Like, I don't have to do, I don't have to conform or change anything. So that's what Striper did for me. I mean, I'm not, I, I, only, I only like the first album. I'm, I wasn't into to later stuff after that, and, and I wasn't that invested in them enough to be like, oh but I respected the fact that here you had a Christian rock and roll heavy metal group. Whatever you want to call it, that were willing to go there. Because remember, you have to keep this in mind, fam, they were frowned upon too. Because you have people telling them, that's not gospel music. And same thing with Kirk Franklin. What is he doing? He's messing things up. What is Hezekiah Walker doing? Shit, what the what the winers are doing. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like they, they all everybody in the Christian sect that did music, that did gospel music on a different level, all faced. Prejudice. Oh yeah. When, 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 when Amy Grant decided I want to do a pop record, the white church. Oh my God, blasphemous! She's no longer a part of us. She sold her soul, and she's still Christian. That's why I'm like, now you see why I don't. I never subscribe to that BS because that's the whole point of, of how that. And of course, bl- blame, blame the the church system for that, not the people who do the music, but the people who. Put it in their heads that, okay, if you don't do this particular thing, you're not a gospel artist. You can't, you can't possibly be a lover of Christ and do that kind of music, or I can't get with it. And then you wonder why people like, like then you wonder why Tone became B Slade. You know, and people, you know, it's like people don't understand is that it's a lot of that in the mix that they don't talk about. So Striper went through it too. So as much as we frown upon them and laughed and stuff like that, they faced that prejudice too. True. You got to remember that.
0: That's true, it's like, I don't know They they
1: faced it, so as much as we say Like, oh, you don't understand And mind you, you don't have to be into them I'm not saying get into them You don't have to be into them But understand and respect that they went through a lot of shit too Because it wasn't typical It wasn't typical for a A heavy metal band To do Christian things, but then again Let me take that back What do you think Twisted Sisters You're gonna burn in hell is about? Let me ask you that I, never, I know the answer. I, I hung out with Dee, so...
0: <laughs> I never knew that because I thought Dee Snyder was Jewish.
1: Oh, you you, you ready to you get some knowledge apart? You ready to get some more of this
0: knowledge, bro? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I just remember, he... I remember Cisco told me he ended up being a pastor now.
1: Yeah. I forgot about this? that. I, I'm going to break it down to you because one of my favorite songs... I mean, that's actually... That's actually... If not my number... I mean, I love We're Not Going to Take It. I love I Want to Rock, but I would have to say Burning Hell is definitely probably one of my favorite... Cause it's just you know what it is. But I'm gonna say first of all, it was funny, because, and I'm saying it funny because it just was interesting to hear somebody tell somebody on the record, "You're gonna burn in hell." It's just, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's, funny. And then, he, and then he, hit the nerve to shriek it, "Oh, burn in hell!" I was like, yo, this
0: guy's Nice.
1: Ridiculous. But here's the thing: if you listen to the lyrics, because y'all yeah, remember, his father was Jewish. But Dee's mom is Christian.
0: Oh, okay. Dee
1: Snyder grew up born-again Christian.
0: Oh. So,
1: Burn in Hell is actually a Christian song. Now, of course, by all sonics and theoretics, because we know music, people don't think about it that way. Because it's, it's Twisted Sisters. It's the same people that made I Want to Rock that told your parents to say, we're not going to take it anymore. So it's like, How could the same guy that has these these this message about Christianity in this rock song, but then turn around and and tell and 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 tell um uh, have a song talking about we're not going to take it anymore and having kids rebel? That was the number one rebellious anthem of the eighties. Yeah, it was without question. We're not going to take it. So the same guy that wrote that, the same guy that wrote um you're going to burn in hell. And it's crazy because when I met the D Snyder and my grandfather got inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame at the same time, so me and D hung out the whole night. Nice, because I'm I'm a die, you know I'm a diehard. And Mark Mendoza, me and him jammed together at one of his shows. When Mark Mendoza had his band together. I came up on stage and played like three songs with him. So I'm a Trisha Sister fanatic. I, lo- I love those guys. And um, shout out to to the late great A.J. Perot, who I also did some work with before he passed away. So, see, law, law, law got heavy metal credentials, too, bro. You know, we talk
0: about this all the time. I can tell. That's not a Metallica shirt. Yeah, um, well, I mean,
1: well, I mean, well no. <laughs> no, I've known you
0: for shit. 10 years, so I've, I I keep true. an this eye on stuff. I don't say this, much. Is, this
1: is true. No, but but let, but let me say this, though. This this is very true, but the, here's the funny thing about that. Because I know you've seen the recent years. you got these kids now wearing Metallica shirts, and they don't know the first thing about Metallica. So that's why I said, I appreciate the fact that you noticed that because you know if you know anything about me and most of my fans know that about me, I wear my heroes on my heart when I wear these shirts. Because when I wear a shirt of anything that I like, you know, I have a Jason Voorhees shirt. I love Friday Thirteen. You know, I'm a, I'm a fanatic about that stuff. So pop culture and things that I that I loved in pop culture, I wear. But um, anybody, but wearing a shirt doesn't mean shit. Just because somebody wears a shirt of a of a, of a group that doesn't necessarily mean that they like the group. Or they know the music and i hate that shit personally to be honest with you i feel like if you're going to wear your favorite team you're wearing it because it's your favorite team if you love the green bay packers you should be wearing the green bay packers you have more than one favorite team see me that's like me i have more than one favorite team i have like top fives and top tens so anytime you see me with a raiders hat on Regardless, I mean, they did lose But, uh, you know, the thing, the thing is But I'm just making a point you, you, you get the point, though 49ers, like That's because these are my team I'm not going to wear a team I don't like Like, one time I wore, Ast- I wore a Houston Astros shirt Because Nolan Ryan is my second favorite pitcher See what I mean? So it's, it's a different thing So I just wanted to point that out to you I didn't want to make it seem like I Because I know you, you've you known me longer than most So you already, you already know what I'm about But that's just to make a point to anybody else that anybody can wear a t-shirt but that doesn't mean anything it's like you know anybody can wear a t-shirt with with winger on it (laughs) like the guy in um and
0: be (laughs) with some buddy i kind of ruined kid winger's career i'm gonna tell you the truth
1: you think he really think it did
0: he hated it because he felt like how come basically it's like how come i get the little pussy ass character on here That, that gets that gets beat up all the time yes but you got you gotta but you gotta
1: take it with a grain of look they got look, Beavis and Budhead got it. It's like in Living Color. And in Living Color got at everybody. When they did Rhythmless Nation for Whitney Houston because they was like Whitney can't dance. I'm like, no, she can't. <laughs> she can't dance. I said, but and Whitney got offended by it, but it didn't destroy her career. So you gotta you got to, some things, some things you to some things you have to take with a grain of salt. And see, luckily for me, I'm a jokester. So for me, Anytime a crack is made about me, like I don't take it personally because especially if I know you, if I know if I know you, you can have those jokes because I'm gonna I'm have some of my damn self, but it's all in fun and love. People who don't know me and joke me like that different story, and I'm like, okay, we ain't, we ain't cool like that. You can't joke with me that way. Fuck out of here. <laughs> that's, that's a broken thing. I'm not like, you can't do that with me, but um, you got to be able to take that. so I'm, I'm surprised because see a smarter person would have took that, like I said, Mickey free. Mickey Free is a genius Because when that shit about With the Dave Chappelle skit With the Prince thing Mickey Free And fun thing is that People are just like I was wondering where Mickey Free I said Mickey Free's been touring For the last 20 years He got two Grammys off of his independent records I'm like Y'all been in, y'all haven't been to know But I have Because Mickey Free's in my top 20 guitar heroes As you know So it's like um, Bad App Discovered by Gene Simmons Let me point that out For those of that know <laughs> From Kiss And the thing is that You know he could have easily got offended and got mad no he was like i'm gonna take this shit and i'm gonna i'm gonna make it work for me and it has he got he got merch now with the with the with the the skin
0: smart move
1: it's called smart move what getting mad ain't gonna do a damn thing so take lemons and make lemonade i'm a hustler baby that's all i know i'm like I'm gonna sit there and get mad. Like, I don't know, like, people just make that shit, and then you turn it into something. You know, you gotta make that shit. I mean, and then now, you know, it's not as more interesting in his shit because of Dave Chappelle. People that, now we know because we, we follow him. That's one of our heroes. Like, people that didn't know shit about Mickey Free, they learned from the skit. But anybody that knows anything different, we know Mickey Free from Shalimar. We know Mickey Free from the, the stuff that he did with Prince because all those guys hung out together. But the rest of the fans that didn't know, they got schooled. Like, oh, shit, that's what Mickey Free is. One of the baddest guitar-playing motherfuckers, whether he wore makeup or not. Period. It didn't matter if he wore makeup or not. Everybody knows that's rock and roll anyway.
0: Slayer used to wear makeup. Nobody talked about that, though. But they did.
1: There's a whole lot of motherfuckers that wore makeup. I
0: mean, Pantera looked like a friggin' back in the day before. They were called, people called Glam Terror. They always didn't look like them.
1: And because, and I'm 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 so glad that the late Charlie Murphy pointed that out because I had to make that clear to people too, because unfortunately, because because of the society that we were living in back in the '80s, outside of the glam rock, anybody any dude that wore makeup, they they were to be called gay, you know, fat, whatever. Like they would use these terminologies, and it was so crazy. I'm just like, well, that's kind of stupid because most of the people who didn't, that's why, because our society was so taboo back then. I mean, thank God it's a little bit more free-minded. You know the last 30 40 something years Where people are able just to be themselves And even if they are they are that's just what they are Let them be who they are the fuck you know Let them be who the fuck they are So the crazy thing is that you have to be able To laugh at yourself Um, You know George Michael had to laugh at himself Because that incident in the bathroom Yeah, it forced, to, it forced him to come out the closet
0: I saw the video for that too well, not that the video, video.
1: The video was funny as hell. Yeah. I what Precious put that up on Instagram. The video, and the, and the song is dope as fuck. Yeah. The thing that George Michael does is dope. I love George Michael. That's one of my biggest influences. So I, nobody cared. It's almost like a thing as to where it became taboo. But the point of the matter is that Mickey Free could have easily been depressed. It could have been like, oh, they're talking about me. Take that shit and run with it. You see what Otis Williams is doing now? Now you got the shirts. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. He's running with it now. Now, personally, I'm not going to lie to you. The reason why in the beginning I didn't like it becoming a catchphrase because I didn't want people who didn't know the history to get it twisted. Because everybody always has this notion about... I said, no, Otis is the most important note in The Temptations. He's the middle. He's the second tenor. Without, without his note, the whole harmony falls flat. True. He's the casual lead singer. He never wanted to be the main lead singer from the very beginning. If you read his book, he said it properly. It's like, he said, I was happy to get I, said, I was happy when I got my few lead lines in certain songs or whatever came and when I got a chance to sing like one or two songs, lead or whatever the case may be. He said, but I can tell you honestly, my strength is not the supreme lead singer. That's why we had the great David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks and Paul Williams. I didn't use so, did you see me fight for a solo career when when everybody left? Nope, that's true.
0: He knew his place. He,
1: didn't. he knew he knew his place. So my thing is just that I didn't want people to take that catchphrase about Otis Williams and try and try and try to find a no reason to shit on him. I wanted them to understand. But I got I got the joke because funny as hell. Because in, in in retrospect, you know, even though Otis was popular, he would you know, and you talk about popularity in the group, they all all five guys were. But let's keep it honest. It was really about Dave, David and, and David and Eddie. David and Eddie had they had the broad appeal of what made the Temptations. That thing and of course later on dennis Edwards, and of course my idol the great ollie woodson all the guys that came through that so you have to kind of know your you have to know your role you have to know what part you're going to fit in to make things conglomerate but the bottom line is that all this didn't get depressed and get mad i was like okay let's get some shirts let's get some shirts made
0: there you let's go some
1: money nothing wrong with that
0: there you let's go
1: get some paper Shit, right. why not
0: all right so I know you. I know you're really from Twitter, you know. And I see some weird shit over the last ten years. What is the weirdest Twitter exchange you've had?
1: Ooh, the weirdest.
0: The weirdest or most interesting one? Because I can think of two.
1: Okay. Well, then, before I say my which two, which two are you thinking about? Because I'm, I'm, I'm gonna see if it falls in line.
0: The Shorty Mac one and the and the Genie Simmons one.
1: Ah, oh, the Shorty Mac one. Okay, let me ask you this, before I answer that why was the shorty
0: mac one so interesting because <laughs> i got tagged in it <laughs> say what because i got tagged in it remember
1: oh well how did you how did you get tagged in it
0: you tagged me in there you said
1: <laughs> what did i say I, that's so long ago man let me
0: it was something like like john who was like it was something i forgot what it, i gotta find it though but it was like but either way, you just,
1: know, I mean, it had to be something that you were involved in that we were talking about. It was
0: because you I were would, talking would, about, like, back. it was related to, actually, you know, it was kind of like this weird thing where it was someone shorty Mac was talking shit about George Clinton, right? And you had to tell him what time it was.
1: Oh, hell yeah. I mean, look, look I wasn't... What's up, Frost? What's going on, Just? Yo, man, like, I, I, you know, the thing for me was that... Here, no, no, it, it was not only that, but also... It was because what I said about Ray J singing, because my, my opinion in 2020, my opinion has not changed. Ray J is a great businessman. Actually, his first album was pretty decent in terms of the production and how it fit. But Ray J can't sing to me. That's just my personal opinion. I thought he was a horrible singer. He can. So, of course, Shorty Mac, being his right-hand man, he wants to come on Twitter and start talking shit. I said, "Oh, nigga, you don't realize who you fucking with." Okay, I you know what? what it was. And it, and it wasn't even because, mind you, Twitter is a free form place for anybody to express themselves. Yeah. So, how is it what I'm saying about somebody you know? But I didn't come on your page talking that shit. Why are you coming on my page talking about it? Exactly. It's stupid. So he thought that he could try to to get fly on me and as you saw i ousted his ass he didn't have nothing for me you did and you that's and yeah, i aired him out i got it i need because the first thing i said i'm like well let's 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 talk the ballistics here bro um where's where's your music
0: exactly <laughs> that was the other thing too you know because yeah, right. I,
1: I have an album out that's doing very well where's your music at you have nothing out because you're too busy riding ray j's nuts you know me. I, I'm a, look, my mouth is reckless, bro. I'm from Brooklyn. You already know. My mouth is reckless, and I do not give a fuck. When you try to come at me a certain way, I'm going to air you out. That's just through the, it's, it's It's the rule. It's the rules. It's the rules. There you it's go. It's the rule. Like, I, I'm not one for that. But that wasn't really interesting to me. It just You know why? Cause I, I call it Spade and Spade. And then, of course, we later squash it, and it was over. I haven't seen him since and really don't care to. play put out a whole bunch of records that were trash. <laughs> Yeah. And that was just it. So I mean, that was really the thing with me and him. But the most interesting one, definitely without question, you you picked the that was the one I was going to get into. Me and my Kiss based idol Gene Simmons. Yeah, I didn't understand that one at all because the funny thing about this was that I was correcting him. Now, as you as you already know, Shannon's a longtime friend of mine. I'm his wife, Shannon Tweed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the thing about this is that um. My whole thing was, is that stop saying that every, because, you know, his whole thing is he don't feel rappers belong in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, I'm throwing a question. What makes you think, or who made you the authority to say that rappers don't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because we influence rock and roll, too. True. And vice versa. King of Rock. I mean, I don't, I don't, do I have to go there about Run DMC and 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 you know, and walk this way? The impact of hip hop. Now, mind you, I mean, even with Walk This Way, because to me, it worked both ways. Run DMC was hot and Ariel Smith was not. Let's let's call it, let's keep it real. Originally, Run DMC was just going to do their basic freestyle raps over the beginning beat. And that's all Jamass J kept scratching was that part. And then Rick Rubin, the genius, came in and said, hey, fellas, I got an idea. Why don't y'all do the original song over? And as you notoriously know, Run DMC was like, fuck no. 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 They called it Hillbilly Gibberish. Doing that shit? Run, run such to the day, Run was like, it sounded like Hillbilly Hilly Gibberish. When I first he said, when we finally listen, because they never listened to the song. They never they never went past the first the first two bars of the drum beat. So when they finally listened to it, Backseat Lover getting down the cover. And I talked to my daddy say, "What the fuck is he talking about?" Okay, Rick, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. And as we know, it made history. It put Aerosmith back on the map again, and Aerosmith's acceptance of Run DMC made hip hop even global, a, a more global phenomenon. So yeah. it works both ways. So my thing with Gene Simmons was that. How are you going to say that? Two things. How are you going to say that? And then on top of all that, who made you the authority to say if somebody belongs in the Hall of Fame or not? Because y'all hated the fact that they didn't include y'all. And to me, KISS should have been the first group included, in my opinion, or one of the first groups. I'm talking about rock and roll. True. Influence. The Beatles, the Stones, Led Zeppelin, and KISS. Those are probably four of... and I'm not missing a few other ones too. In terms of the white part of it, those are the four biggest rock bands of all time on the white side of things led zeppelin kiss the beatles the rolling stones oh, yeah. so my thing is that to Gene was like you should know what that feels like so how are you going to now now cuz y'all in you get to talk all this shit i didn't say it to him like that i wasn't going to i wasn't going to disrespect him i just i just was like i would what are you talking about and then eventually you see he kind of you know he hit me up in my dm i still got it he hit me up in my dm he's like Great, great talking with you, kid. You held your own. I appreciate that. So that you know, D- G- Gene loves to debate. Gene loves to argue. I get it, but that made him more my hero because, and mind you, I gained more of the Kiss Army fan base after that because they were just like, "Yo, to see somebody stand up to Gene like that." I'm like, man, listen. First of all, Gene should already know. You want to know why
0: he should know? He's Where's from- he from? He's from Jamaica Queens. No, actually, from Brooklyn. <laughs> Fuck. At least I got the New York part right. No, Paul. Paul. Paul is from Queens. I, I no
1: think. Way. I think. Um, Gene, my, Gene. lived in Queens, but Gene is from Brooklyn.
0: Wait, now I remember the Jamaican Queen thing, though.
1: Gene and um and um and Peter Chris, who I love. I, I hung out with him one night. That's Brooklyn. Yeah. So I get it. I get the whole thing. And those are still my. Those are still my idols. You know how I feel about kids. I still love. I said it wasn't no love lost, but I have to hold my ground for hip hop. And then. I had to remind him, um, you do realize the guy you're talking to right now on his Twitter is, is, a, is a full-blown musician, right? And when I put that clip up of me playing the lead guitar solo, I had, like, about 40 hits after that shit. <laughs> and he was like, oh, shit. He plays guitar. I'm like, see? And I got a damn Jimi Hendrix hoodie on. How about that? And I'll I'm, and I'm put this guitar down. And I'm going to rap, and I'm going to sing R&B. That's the whole point of playing the 12. So that shut him up real quick. That was all. No, no, no love loss. That's my hero. I still love him. You know, God bless the God of Thunder, man. But that was definitely an interesting day on Twitter that day. I'll never forget. I'm surprised you even still remember that.
0: I remember, here's how I remember the story. Because I was coming back from the dentist, right? And it felt like somebody punched me in the mouth. So I'll never forget that day. And I remember I was on Twitter. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and now I remember the other story. You're right. Gene is not from Jamaica, Queens. You're right. No, he was dating this girl who he ate out. That's from Jamaica Queens, which is in the book. That's why I get it confused. Mm-hmm. That's why I remember. Yeah. So, Okay. So that's how I remember all the stuff now. All right. So I'm,
1: sp- listen, I, I give credit where credit is due, man. Like like Gene, and I always tell people, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, Gene soft Now nah, I said he can be. I said he's very obnoxious. I said, but you know what? A lot of shit that he says about the commerce and merchandising makes a lot of sense because he never played into the whole. Media man, that's what I love about Kiss. They, they never played into the whole mainstream media idea that they're supposed to be. Because you know, critics hated them. They were they were never the critics' darlings.
0: Never, never. So no, they were the ICP of the seventies.
1: Because they were ballsy enough to say, "We're going to. This is how we're going to do our rock and roll." And they they changed the world. People, I don't care what anybody says Kiss definitely changed the world without question. And even even if you're not a fan, you got to admit it. You got to again give credit where credit is due. Even if you're not a fan of that person. I say a lot of shit about Mariah Carey, but at the same time, I'm always being honest. I said, listen, without question, um, definitely one of the most important singers of of my generation, without question, especially those early, the early albums in those early years, you know. And I, and I, I'm not, and I'm not being biased. I'm just I'm just being I'm a, I'm a realist. That's I think that's what the fans like about me the most. I'm real with this shit. I speak it. I'm truthful about it.
0: Exactly. You know, you know because I'm not gonna lie. The only thing that interests me of Ray J was him and a Kim Kardashian tape it was kind of awkward because I saw him a week after that and it was like what do you say to that
1: I, I you know it's just you know here, here's the thing man and again because of course you know brandy being the dope ass singer she is and it's not like because oh because your family we out in that I said I just listened to you know when he when he, when he had that song one wish it sounded like he, it sounded like somebody was punching him in the stomach I just it I did know, I just and mind you, I mean, he had, like I said, he has his fan base. I'm not, look, what, what am I to say? That, that boy got millions with, with, his, with his Ray Tech company and everything else. More power to him. But in that particular day, I was expressing myself, and that's how I felt. And his boy thought that he can come on my Twitter de- defending his girlfriend at the time. That's how I felt at the time. I was kind of getting at him. I'm like, defend your little girlfriend. That's cool. A bit, but it ain't helping you out because I see you on the damn um, on, on the, the reality show. you jumping up and down and another nigga buying jewelry for himself.
0: That is a good point.
1: That don't even sound... It's like, and you on here talking shit about me. I'm like, you need to stop, bro. I'm like, and, he, and, he, and he, that's why he. That's why he eventually forfeited. He he wasn't gonna win that battle because everybody knew I was telling the truth, including you. You knew I was telling the truth. I'm like, I'm dealing with facts. Fuck my opinion. I, I said the Ray J thing was an opinion, but we're talking about Shorty Mac now. What I'm saying about you, that's a fact, bro. It's a pure fact. And then it's funny because when he found out I worked with Amy Winehouse, he wanted to be friends with me after that.
0: Of course, you know. You All know? right.
1: So it just, you know, I, I'm, again, man, I, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. Like, you, if you're going to try to, if you're going to come for me, you better aim for the juggler of the head because I promise you, if you graze me, I'm killing you. <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. That, that's, that's my whole thing. Like, if you're going to have that kind of mouth, you better have a whole lot of artillery.
0: That kind of reminds me a little bit of the story about his wrestling with Haku's damn near like just one tough son of a bitch, right? And the story was this. If you ever piss off Haku, and you have a gun, shoot yourself and spare the pain.
1: Well, you know what? I'm with you on that. One of my favorite movies is um Alpha Justice by Steven Seagal. Remember at the very end when he fought the um, the, the crazy guy he grew up with? And the first thing he said was um, um, he, he was going he, he put a gun to his head like he was going to kill himself and then he threw the he threw the gun away and then put up his hands see like Steven Seagal. And he's like, oh, I feel bad for you because those bullets would have saved you a lot of pain. And of course, Steven Seagal whipped that ass. <laughs> so it's like, you know, <laughs> it's the same thing.
0: All right. So how did Planet 12 come about? Wow.
1: <laughs> Planet 12. Okay. Let me summarize this the best way I can. Um, Planet 12 is a combination of a lot of different things. And the vision really started for me at 7 to 8 years old because at that time, you know, as, as I told you earlier, I'm an 80s baby. My musical crew, my musical worlds were colliding at that time. As you gotta remember, my roots are gospel, R&B, and of course, um, because of my uncle and my grandfather, um, funk and, and rock and all these different things, you know, that I was getting into. And all of my musical influences were colliding at that point because here I am, you know, new wave and hip-hop is a thing of my generation, but I'm also getting into all this old school doo-wop stuff that my that my grandmother had around the house as well as her gospel records. So, in the midst of all that, every day for me was a studying day. Every day for me was, um, you know, one minute Led Zeppelin, next minute Shirley Caesar. Next minute is New Edition, next minute The Barge, you know, next minute is The Ohio Players. Like, I was getting into all these different things. Next minute is The Go-Go's. and as I'm becoming older in the process, I'm you know I'm already doing shows with my mother, and my, my my uncles and stuff like that, and I'm putting all this together. And as most of my fans know, I'm also a fan of science fiction. Science always fascinated me as a kid besides English. So, you know, I'm a Trekkie. I love, of course, Star Wars was everything to me. Um, Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker was fascinating. Um, Carl Sagan is my favorite writer and. Um, The most important element of all these different things science fiction-wise was the fact that um, Marvel and DC Comics, and you know why? Because if you notice, what do all the heroes, bad or good, have in common?
0: All the Phil's science experiment.
1: Yep, my man. See, I knew you would know exactly. All of them became who they became because of science experiments. Bruce Banner got hit by the gamma rays, and it already increased his anger. Because as you saw the movie and you you read the... um, the, re- the real story in Incredible Hulk yeah. is he used to watch his father beat up his mother and his temper and his anger got built in from all those years. We got hit with the gamma ray That transformed into that. I mean, we all know this stuff. Nice. Um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Radioactive Spider, and different things like that. You know, 2001, Space Odyssey. So anything that had anything to do with science fiction or astronomy or astrology, I was deeply into. So around this time, you know, I'm 10 years old. I'm about to go to 11. I'm going to 12. So right before I hit 12, my musical smorgasbord was already like a full plate. I really realized who I was. But now in the shows, it's coming a different way. Because every other week, I was singing in church. Then one minute, I'm in the clubs with my mother at a young age, singing with my, my, my uncles. And then on the streets, I'm break dancing, I'm rapping, I'm battling on both ends. And then in church, I'm back in church on Sunday singing. And I remember I had two sides pulling my arm. The one side was the older side Lawrence, I, I love the way you sing, baby But, you know, I, I can't get with that rap you know, I'm, you, know, you know you know, how I was A lot of older black folks didn't like rap A lot of white folks didn't like rap either So, on the opposite end, my peers My age, they're like Yo, no, Lord, Lord, that, that, yeah, that, that When you rhyme is dope I don't know about all that singing stuff But when you go in the mic and you spit that verse and everything. So, I'm being pulled Like like a C, like back and forth And then one day I just woke up and was like well, why can't I do it all? So when I made that decision, I just happened to come across an album that, two albums that kind of, that made me make the decision. The first album being Sign of the Times by Prince. And I was already a die-hard Prince fan already. So Sign of the Times to me still remains his best album, in my my opinion. His best album because sonically, he finally found a way to incorporate every part of who he was musically. Not that he wasn't doing it before with the other albums, but on a double album like that, he made it make sense. So then I discovered Parliament's Mothership, Mothership Connection album, where you see a very skinny George Clinton on a UFO. So on the front cover, as you know, he's in outer space, but on the back album cover, he's in the hood because if people forget that George is from Plainfield, Jersey, which is the Brooklyn, New Jersey, basically. So he was basically showing I had one, I had one, one foot in here. But I have another, I have one foot in the street, but I got one foot in outer space. So then I begin thinking about it. Hmm. All I've been hearing all my life was, "Law, you think law plays everything? Are you kidding me? Laws on the laws on his own planet. Hmm. Planet. So twelve is my favorite number, but as you know, numbers have meanings. So twelve is my favorite number. L is the 12th letter in the alphabet. And of course, what's my name start with? My real name is Lawrence. It starts with L. And then if you separate the one and the two, you got Mike Check, one, two, one, two. And 12 bar blue structure because there are officially 12 notes in music.
0: That makes sense.
1: And the rest is history. Basically, I said Planet 12. Planet Soul, where my I, I made statement, it's not just a sound, it's a state of mind. You know, I, I try to do whole, I did the whole Superman thing where I try to come up with a moniker for each thing that I do. It's not just a sound, it's a state of mind. Because basically, my music is for people who love all kinds of music. When I'm in a rugged hip hop move, I throw on some boot camp clip or some Wu-Tang. When I'm in a pop move, I throw on some Dua Lipa. You know what I mean? Lady Gaga. When I'm in a funk mood, I throw on some cameo and some Ohio players. I represent for all the, the freaks, the weirdos, the eccentrics, even the, even the hood ones that were still street but still different. I wanted to come up with a movement that represented people who love all types of music, not just one or two styles of music. And it made sense. Planet 12. It just came together. So that's really how I came up with Planet 12.
0: You know, it makes sense. I mean, that's what I was trying to do with Genius Techno, actually. Actually, the point about it was it was kind of like a it's a band, but it's also a social experiment. Like, I'll put it this way. Here's the deal. The whole, yeah, is a rock band, of course, right? But we have different influences. Like, I grew up on punk rock, heavy metal, parents screaming at each other, funk, blues, jazz, whatever, right? Absolutely. You know, Danielle basically grew up on gospel and stuff like that, you know? And also yeah. other stuff like R&B and also rock, of course, you know? Absolutely. So the point being, though, but the thing about it was... When we first played our first show, right, the first thing we got was, I'm sorry, R&B night is next night, like, uh, no, asshole, uh, thanks, for mentioning mention that to us. Oh, shit. That's, it was a black guy, too, by the way, and the point about it was, I tried to lift this idea from the Ramones. The idea was to kind of create, like, this kind of thing, actually, right, basically just to create balls-of-the-wall rock, right? It wasn't an ink of funk, wasn't an ink of hip-hop. The reason why was this, because it kind of plays well, we play rock, you know, mm-hmm. even though it's our music anyway, yeah. Thank Id- you. The idea was like, well, well, we didn't know what you guys were going to do. It's like, what, what do you think we we're going to do? I was like, oh, so we're going to, well, why would you think that? Because you bl- wow, okay, that's pretty interesting. So it's like a social it's, experiment. It's, it's, a, it's the
1: same way, like I did a show in Long Island some years ago, and I had my Blue Beetle shirt on, and this one white lady, always <laughs> gonna you know, be somebody white, right, right? Yeah. Like, ah, I, Beatles, huh? so you really, really like the Beatles? Is there any reason why I shouldn't? <laughs> now, mind you, I didn't get offended, I just, but I understood why. Because, again, social, like you said, social experiment yeah. and the fact that there's this preconceived notion that when we see anybody of any race or color, be it black, white, brown, orange, whatever, we automatically make these assumptions that they like this kind of music. And to me, that's bullshit. I hated that. Like, I really... I despise it. That's why Plant Soul was created because I didn't. I didn't want to feel feel that stigma of me being a black kid that happened to love Led Zeppelin and Judas Priest and Barry Manilow. Like, why should I be? Why should I be chastised for that? I love all kinds of music. You know, so it, I, I understand it totally. It really, it becomes a social experiment because they expect you to be one way and then all of a sudden you get crucified if you go the other way too because they're going to find something to nitpick at you that they don't like or they feel like you're not doing enough of or whatever the case may be and people have to fight that that's why rick james wrote ebony eyes believe it or not i don't know if that's the story behind ebony eyes i can see that he wrote ebony eyes because um he got too much fan mail about the fact that um he was spending too much time with white women i'm like but if you know Rick, Rick always loved on all women. Of course, black comes first because obviously he's a black man. But if you knew how Rick was living at that particular particular place in time, Rick was messing with all kinds of women. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just white girls and all. That's why I'm just like, you know, people just get ignorant. But in any event, it, it led him to create one of his best songs with Smokey Robinson. But that's the, but that's the premise behind that song, though. He said that he was getting too much... Negative feedback on the fact that he, you know, he was with white girls or shit. I'm like, I, I wouldn't even respond to that. But I love the fact that Rick kind of reminded people, like, uh, don't be stupid. I, 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 love all kinds of women. Of course, black women come first because what am what I, what am I? I'm obviously black, so that's the first thing I'm gonna try to at least to attract, or if they're attracted to me, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it's just people just run with stupid shit sometimes. That's just the way it is. That's why a lot of time when I talk about. Things like this, and I'm glad and thank you once again for, for bringing me on your platform to, to, no to speak about things like this because we've all, me and you've always talked about it on Twitter. We've always had these discussions sometimes, you know, in the inbox and everything like that. And you always got it. A lot of people don't get it. That's because we're cut from the same cloth. A lot of people don't get it.
0: I appreciate
1: it. I have to be the reminder to let people know that there's a lot of false information about what you're supposed to like, or because you're this kind of person, or you grew up here, you're supposed to like. You grew up in a classical music family. You're supposed to like Travinsky and Leopold. No, the fuck, I don't. No. I don't have to like them. I can appreciate them, but that's not really what I'm into. That's why go. I love Tina Marie so much. Because, you know, my, my late great friend, Tina Marie. Because oh, yeah. people forget Tina Marie is classically trained, but she loved RB. Yeah. She didn't want to do um, classical music. That's why I've been noticing most of her early Motown records, she always had the classical arrangements for certain songs. That was her way of kind of paying her debt to her classical musical training, but still wanting to be everything who she was as an R and B funk soul soulhead.
0: That makes sense, you know. It goes back to the appropriation versus appreciation argument. She was truly appreciative, you know.
1: Absolutely, and and and, and funny thing is that she only had her biggest pop record is "Lover Girl." That's interesting. It's very and that, and that song sounds more like Minneapolis than it does anything that she would have ever did prior. <laughs>
0: So what was it like working with the P-Funk camp?
1: Man, listen. Oh, man. A- educational on every level. I mean, remember, I'm still part of the camp. So, you know, when I when I do shows with 420 Funk Mob, where I join um, Parliament Funkadelic, um, it's always educational. I mean, to, to be playing alongside your guitar and bass heroes that you studied for so long and now they're getting a chance to see, you know, and, and most of my mentors are gone. You know, rest in peace to the to the late great Gary Scheider. Um, rest in peace to um to, to Boogie, um, Eddie Hazel, who I never met, but just, you know, I, I feel like I because, but because he is in my top five of guitar players, I felt like I've met him in another life. So it's like, you know, um all the guys in them flew on, man. Like I, I to, to be in that close proximity of the guys who are still here, like, you know, like ski. Billy Bass, Nelson, you know, Gabe Gonzalez, um, Benzel, all the guys, even the current guys who are there now, it's it's always fun. It's magical, and anytime I'm on stage with George, I in 2020, I still pinch myself. I become like a big kid when when George calls me up on stage and when I when I'm on stage working with him, you know, it's it's always fun, man. It's fun, educational, and it's a badge of honor because I wear it proudly. So, how's
0: your podcast going about?
1: Oh, the podcast? Yeah. Well, um, like most people, what they're doing now, um, the unfortunate events based upon COVID-19 allowed me to jump into some bags that I have been wanting to jump into for the last few years, because, you know, most of my fans have always said, Lord, you need your own radio show, bro. You you too. you, you so raw with it. We, we need, You need you. Need a podcast. And I would always tell them, I said, well, I got plans for that, it's going to come in the works. But guess what? On God's timing. And I've always believed that when it's time to do stuff. You got to remember, imagine if we would have been the heavy um, doing show season. I mean, I also would have been able to do it anyway. I would have to find pockets and ways to do it and not let it interfere. But look at all the time that I have now when I've been able to, able to do this stuff. And then I wanted to make sure that my podcast was different because, you know, I'm going to keep it real. Most podcasts are boring as fuck. Yeah. yeah, they're boring. And a lot of times what happens is that it it, it can even be the content, it can be the host, it can be, you know, too much of a dry space in between, it's not animated enough. It could be a number of things. And I want to make sure that if I ever did one, it was going to be right and catered to who I am as an artist. So the original premise for the podcast was for me to have a podcast to talk about musical issues and different things, but... The more i thought about it i'm like you know what why don't i call some of my industry friends and let's just t- let's just shoot the shit? because everybody else at that time everybody else started doing it in march when I mean, everybody realized that there was going to be no shows everybody who never made it a point to go on instagram live now was on there true i ain't gonna lie it was weird as hell it was weird as hell for me to see ll cool j
0: and, and no, not in
1: the battle not not, not the bad battle i'm saying that more so because LL's always maintained the mystique of who he is While being mainstream uh, applicable right. So to see him on Instagram You know Checking up with folks and talking to people Live on the thing, It's like oh shit okay That's real okay like he's really doing it. So I said you know what Let me call up Case let me call up Nokia Let me call up my boy Let me call up Spinderell let me call up my people Because these, these are my people outside the music Except for Vanessa Williams And, that's, and that so far is my is my most famous one Everybody's still talking about um, the one with Vanessa Williams on it, and you know that was an honor for me as a diehard fan of, of her of her work as a singer and her catalogues. I mean, she's already one of my favorite actresses, but I felt like her singing and her albums don't get enough mention. You know what I mean? Like this girl, this this girl got what? Two platinum albums, two gold, and still got Christmas albums that are still selling like hotcakes every year when Christmas comes around. Yep. You know, I felt we need to, I felt we need to talk about that. Oh yeah. And. You know, She said it was one of her favorite interviews So that, there you go So um, basically that's how the podcast came about I just basically, the time presented itself um, I, I, I'm doing it the way I want to do it And so far it's, it's been ruling man we, We've been rocking and rolling man People been enjoying it I love the feedback And I don't have to really ask for feedback Like the fans give it to me right after I'm done Like they'll hit up my inbox and They'll tell me, oh, my God, I can't believe you had him. That was a great interview. I'm so glad that you don't ask the same dumbass, boring questions everybody else asks. And and mind you, I'm, I'm not even an interviewer. That's not even me. Of course, I know how to give interviews because of my journalism cred, but at the same time, I'm a fan first, bro. And that's really why I create the podcast, too, because I also want to have another platform besides my Facebook and all this other shit to give props and to pay homage to the people that really influenced me on every level of my career or at least was close enough to me that supported me that just happens to be in the industry but we're friends outside of it so that's really it man like it, it really, it's, it's really doing some some great numbers and people have really been tuning in they love the guests so I, I couldn't ask for anything more man
0: do you think funk could ever have a mainstream revival like return you know
1: Uh, Say that question again. I want to make sure I answer Thoroughly say it again.
0: All right. I was Thinking about like do you think funk can ever have Like a mainstream return
1: That is A deep Question (laughs) I hope you're ready for the answer I know you are. I'm just I'm just fucking with you. Oh, yeah Yeah You know this is this is this is I was just talking about this with a friend of mine Not too long ago. It was interesting. Um The thing is, how could I put this? We have had many examples of funk being mainstream in the last 20 to 30 years. Some of us didn't recognize it. Some of us didn't pay attention to it. And then when something so obvious as Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars comes into the picture, what do we do? We criticize him. Well, not me. I am not. And I know not you either. We criticize, but I, a lot of people are like, I hate that. <laughs> Uptown Funk, that's not real funk. I'm like, then what the fuck is? I said, because first of all, I hear bass. I hear guitar. I hear basic structure. Because sometimes, you know, people see this. Is the, this is the problem with most funkateers, quote unquote. They have this notion that when you say the word funk, if it doesn't have a Larry Graham pop and thump or it doesn't have the quirkiness of a P funk record, it's not funk. That's bullshit. There's different kinds of funk. Exactly. Some funk is slick, some funk is a little bit more laid back, some funk is aggressive. As a matter of fact, no, not even let me not even say that. Most funk is aggressive because. I often call funk is the the aggressive bastard child of R&B, in my opinion. James Brown sought to take the one and the three and make a whole art out of it. Nobody was doing that. That's what made James original. Sly came along, took James Brown funk and added some layers to it, which means that Sly diversified the funk. And then Funkadelic in Parliament, George Clinton came along, and made funk an overall religious statement Everybody else is in between that Because all of the other bands that came later Were influenced by each of those guys Earth, & Fire said We tried to borrow every change that we could From a slide record to make it applicable To what we were doing as Earth, & Fire But eventually EWF had to kind of find their own lane And it worked for them But they all had to build upon The foundation, the blueprint of what Sly was doing, and even what, what what Funkadelic was doing, so Funk being mainstream, we've had a lot of different things that came into the picture. But unfortunately, a lot of a lot of the older guys don't want to take off the blinders and see that they rather just sit there and complain and talk about what's really fun. If it doesn't sound like if it doesn't sound like Graham Station or Gap Band, it's not funk. And to me, that's bullshit. What's the group? Um, Joe Jonas, Cape by the Ocean, that's funk to me. It's just a pop record, that's all it's just, it's, The only difference is that it's a pop record And people don't get that Uptown funk I mean, that's the closest thing that I've seen In years Close to funk being on the mainstream Because think about it What did they do wrong in that song? Especially towards the, the, especially towards the end With the vamp out How could you not hear that? I'm like, it sounds like funk to me It does and I dare somebody to tell me I don't know what funk is <laughs> Fuck out of here You don't know my name That's the only time you ever hear me say that You don't know who I am I I was, I was raised in it My grandfather is one of the pioneers In the funk guitar game So BT if Express, one thing yeah. I know More than And you know it BT Express You better believe it You oh, know. Yeah. And if you listen to any BT Express record What's the most standout feature Besides the bass on any BT Express record
0: Your grandfather playing guitar
1: Exactly. And that's not the bride, that's just being, that's the God honest truth. Listen to P-Pipe, listen to any Beach Express records, you'll hear it, except for the last three records. Those those records were wacky and my grandfather wasn't on it. But (laughs) in any event, um, funk being mainstream is just a statement by itself because I feel like, first of all, the funk ain't never die. The funk ain't go nowhere. And you know know how I feel about that statement. Everybody always saying, bring the funk back, bring the real music back. It never left. The problem is, is that there are so many great acts that are doing actual funk music in different layers, but they're not getting the respect and they're not getting the airtime that a lot of these other so-called groups and artists are getting. And that's the bottom line. So um, to me, I mean, if, if anything breaks through for me with the next few releases with everything else, I mean, then we'll have somewhat of that kind of a breakthrough for funk music, but thank God that funk is not all of what I do. But funk is definitely my um one of my main characterizations because if nothing else, if you don't know me for nothing else, you know me for the funk rock R and B and hip hop. No oh, yeah. problem without everything else I do in between, is just because I choose to do it and I love I, I love all kinds of music. But um funk being mainstream is just a concept by itself because you know Prince did it. Prince was able to make certain funk songs mainstream. It worked. Yeah. Um Lenny Kravitz, I mean, always on the run. That's funk rock at its finest. Oh yeah you know Bruno Mars Uptown Funk and then even Treasure Treasure is disco funk give me your give me your give me your attention baby
0: yo you ever see that video um when somebody uh I kind of ruined I kind of ruined that. I, see, I used to send that video out one time right you know dad da, 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 and someone slaps somebody in the face with it
1: because that's the whole concept of funk I, I don't think I never saw that video but I
0: used that's to troll what people, people don't realize
1: that. funk has different Pockets. Funk is a subgenre by itself with a lot of other subgenres under funk. P-funk is a genre. I know you know that. Yeah. P-funk is a genre. Yes. It really is. It's funk on acid. P-funk is a genre. Minneapolis funk is a genre. Yeah. It's still funk, though. What's the common denominator? Funk. Exactly. It's still funk. It's just, it's just everybody has their characterization. It's still funk. No matter what type of name you put on it, it's still funk. That Bay Area shit. That's that Sly Stone, you know, Shirley E. That's Bay Area funk. That's where Levi and all of them come from. Levi, Bonnie Boy, like that's that's Bay Area. Yeah. Memphis, the Bar Caves. You know, Dayton, Ohio's the funk capital of the world, if you, if you ask me. Slave, <laughs> Roger Troutman, Zap. That's, you know, it's different sections of it. And each band and each artist... Influence each other at some point in their career. Everybody listen to everybody because it, it wasn't—it was friendly competition. Everybody has to study each other. Oh yeah. So what pisses me off is that, because this was a big thing. I don't know if you saw my post last year. It was a big thing, man. I just—I got tired of people coming at Bruno Mars. I'm like, he's doing what he's supposed to be. I said, we—we've been begging for so long. How come none of these other guys younger than us or guys that who are around that age? How come you don't do that? And then Bruno comes along with a smart fucking song that is definitely funk. Now, in comparison to what we know is funk, is it better? No. We know that.
0: It's an evolution, though.
1: But, yeah. Thank thank, thank you, my man. See, that's why I love talking to you. It's an evolution. And the thing is, is that the kids are into it. Like, when I did, like, on my corporate gigs, when I do uptown, they love when we do uptown funk. Because what I do, you know know how I operate. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give you what the record is. But I'm also going to throw in the in, the, the, the songs that influence this record. So from there, I go into More Bounce to the Ounce. I do um, The Bird. And I go straight to um to, 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 um to to Sex Machine because it's all in, it's in the key of D. And I'm just like, I'm showing the kids this is where Bruno got all that shit from. Now, you don't have to go and buy a James Brown album. But I, I, I at least need you to know who he is and why he's important why Prince and Michael Jackson would not be who they are if it wasn't for the funk and the impact of James Brown. I tell my kids that all the time. You don't have to buy a B.B. King album. I just need you to know who he is. He's more than just Graham's friend.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: He's an important person. So um, so to answer your question on a more summarized basis, um, it's, it's a two-way street, man. I just think that if people who are balls enough to make the music that they make we could see more records like that dominate the charts like a Uptown funk or like a Always on the Run by Lenny or a few of the Prince songs that had the funk undertones but still was able to get played on radio. Matter of fact, probably, matter of fact, the more I think about it, that's Kiss by Prince. Kiss is funk. Exactly. That guitar part, that's funk. And at the end, of the, 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 um, the, the 12-inch version where the bass comes in, they, they go straight funky That's the number one record. Three, well, yeah, three ass chords, bro. Three chords. Three chords. It was Very a twelve bl- bars blues to thing. To the point. To the point. And it's, it, if you look at it, it's really, a, it's really um, the one, four, and the five. is blues. Going back to what I said earlier about blues and funk. If it wasn't for the blues, there would be no funk. True. And but Prince knew that. Prince, that's what I love because Prince knew. He knew what he was doing when he when he put that song. He knew. He knew. You know, the only reason why it's his biggest pop record and why all the girls like it because it's a sing along. You don't have to be rich to be my girl. You don't have to be cool. To this day, in 2020, as soon as that lip comes on, (laughs) you know, as soon as that shit comes on, women lose it. And niggas is nodding, they had it. That's it's seven been, sharp it's, nine chords. It still chord. has that effect, but it's a, it's a number one pop record. But what's what? But what's the what's the meaning behind it? It's still funk. Get lucky, that ain't nothing but, but by Pharrell and Daft Punk with Nile the guitar. Yeah, that ain't nothing but disco, yeah, disco funk, because sure. it sounds like something that Chic would have made back in the late seventies. Once again, when it's a number one pop record because. It's being played by mainstream white media DJs and, and all the, the white people who love to dance to it at the raves and at the clubs. So to them it's a pop record. But for us that know music, that ain't nothing. Like, it's like, like, that ain't nothing but disco. And it is. True. You know? The four that four on the floor of river, man. You know what it is. That's oh, disco. Yeah. Shit. So we so basically it's in front of us with certain people, but A lot of us are not smart enough to acknowledge the fact or to give props to the fact that there are some guys in the industry that are trying to make the funk even more mainstream like it used to be. And we may not get to square one, but at least, you know, like I said, Uptown, like you said, Uptown Funk was a start. It was an evolution, a number one record dedicated to funk music. That's funk. So my thing is just that, you know, I, I, I don't get into these arguments all the time because it's crazy because when people try to attempt to tell me what funk is, I'm like, well, funk has a lot of layers to it. It does. Let's peel back some of the layers and figure out now for anybody else. Now, some, you know, some people may not like the disco funk thing. Some people like the more aggressive stuff. Some people like the light funk shit that, um, that, that um, Koon the Gang did in, in, the, in, in the early 80s. And a lot of funketeers don't like that shit. That's okay. But the thing is is that everything has a section.
0: Exactly. Well, Law, great chatting with you. We know each other since Twitter, so great, yeah. great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, man. I've been waiting a long time for this one.
0: Thank you for having me. Huh? No problem. Great chatting with Law. Oh, he's definitely returning.